0: Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of The John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the YouTube show, The John Campia Show. We're awfully glad that you're here. This is the episode recorded on Thursday, April the 23rd, 2020, titled, Christopher Nolan Committed to Tenet, July Release in Theaters. We're awfully glad that you're joining us, and now, without any further delay, let's get right into the show. You know, one of the uh, shows that was really big this year, and certainly the thing that kind of launched Disney+, Plus. Was Mandalorian. Now, Mandalorian came and went, and then we all realized wow, Disney Plus really didn't have much of a plan for good original content after Mandalorian was done, as we're all just sitting around waiting for more stuff to come. So, we're all anxiously awaiting Mandalorian Season 2. We know they finished shooting. Then, the other day, we talked about how they've announced that they're already working on Mandalorian Season 3, which is great. Now, in the meantime, though, they made an announcement that starting on May 4th, that's Star Wars Day, of course, they're going to be releasing on Disney+, Plus an eight-episode docuseries all on the making of Mandalorian Season 1. Yes, a documentary making of series that is actually as long as the series itself, but uh, be that as it may. Well, anyway, they just released the first trailer for this making of Mandalorian uh, documentary. And I got to tell you, I loved it. I mean, it looked exactly like what I thought it would look like. You got that traditional now Disney round table with all the directors talking, the round table with all of the uh, cast talking and stuff like that. A good look at their whole, you know, the video wall technology that they use. It just looks really, really interesting and appealing. And I liked what I saw. So anyway, I thought it looked great. Aaron, you had a chance to see this documentary, or at least see the trailer for the documentary on The Mandalorian. That was your first time looking at it. What did you think about it?
1: I'm very excited about this. You know, I love behind the scenes making of documentaries and even the little snippets that we get with some of the television shows, because I like to see how the sausage is made, you know, to use the pun. And I think that a lot of people enjoy engaging in this and tuning into it as well, because it it. Pulls the curtain back. And now, with so many people having, you know, filmmaking capabilities at their fingertips, using their iPhones or whatever, and using software to edit together their own movies, even more people want to go, well, how did they do that? Well, how complicated is that? And what tricks could I maybe do as I'm making my home videos and pursuing a career potentially uh, in arts and, and in the world of filmmaking? Additionally, I love the shots of the roundtable of the directors because they themselves are so passionate about the show that really comes through when they're talking about it, you know, and also to see the diversity of the directors that you have. You have Bryce Dallas Howard and Deborah Chow, Taika Waititi. How do you pronounce Rick's last name?
0: Uh, f- f- uh, Fuka Fu- Fu- or I always, I always pronounce it if I'm not reading it. If I'm not reading it off in front of me, I always forget right, how to do it.
1: Right. And, um, but, It's just an incredibly exciting thing for us to be able to peel back that curtain. And I like the fact that it's eight episodes long because there's probably eight episodes plus worth of material. You know, if you think about the play Noises Off, famous Neil Simon play, the best thing about it is that it shows the entire play in the first act and then in the second act the entire set turns around and you see the entire play again but from the backstage point of view and as anyone who has worked in the theater will tell you what's going on backstage is often just as entertaining if not more so than what's going on in front so uh, i'm really looking forward to this and i think it's going to be a big success for them did you
0: ever see the uh Christopher Reeve John Ritter Carol Burnett uh, Michael Caine Film version of Noises Off No I didn't I've seen the play Several times But I've never seen the film It's my second favorite Comedy of all time Really Four year old version Is my favorite comedy Of all time Noises Off Is actually my second Favorite comedy Of all time I didn't know that I I will check it out I absolutely love it Question here is guys Have you had a chance To see this trailer For the Mandalorian For the Mandalorian Documentary series I should say If so What do you think Jump on down To the comment section And let us know What you think of it All right with that down, let's do one more off the top. And and this one is is very head scratching. Now, we have been talking a lot about uh, the last month or so about the financial crunch that AMC Theaters has found themselves in. A company that spent an awful lot of money to improve their theaters. They bought new theaters. They put in leather recliners. They developed their AMC A-List service for customers. And they went tons and tons and tons into debt doing all that stuff. And then just as they finished doing all that spending, and just as A-List started to turn a profit... The lockdown happened. AMC Theaters found themselves with no revenue and $5 billion in debt and some financial analysts questioning whether they were ever going to be able to open their doors again. Now, recently, they were just thrown a little bit of a lifeline. They they, uh, established a new $500 million line of debt credit. So that might be able to keep them afloat, as a matter of fact. A part of all this, though, was AMC, like several other companies, sent out a memo to all of their landlords across the USA, letting them know that until they're able to open the theaters again, they were no, they were not in a position where they can p- pay rent. And they invited the landlords to talk with them, to figure out ways they can they can work around it and make it work for everybody because they're just simply in a position where they can't pay their rent right now. Well, that apparently is not good enough for one of their landlords, a mall in Florida, has decided to sue AMC Theaters for the rent. But here's where it gets interesting. They're not just suing AMC theaters for their rent, because to some degree, I get it. The mall, they're closed. They're not getting any income either. They're hurting too, and they're owed money from somebody, so they're looking to get money out. Should they have instead talked to AMC to try to work something out? Probably, but I kind of get where the mall owners are coming from a little bit. So they've gone to AMC and said, we're suing that, but here's the catch. They're not just suing AMC Theaters for the $52,000 in rent that they're owed because that's how much AMC Theaters pays in rent. At this particular mall, they pay $52,000 a month to rent the space there. No, no, no. What the mall owners have done is that they are now suing AMC Theaters for $7.2 million in the midst of all this problem. Now, what that is based on is that there's a legal principle that basically says this. If I owe you uh, a certain amount of money, we have a a contract. Let's say you're leasing, I don't know, the use of my pony. (laughs) Let's say you're leasing the use of my pony. Okay, for- <laughs> John. Yeah,
1: you got to use
0: another I mean, one. I don't know. Let's
1: just- if, if you talk about somebody leasing the use of your pony, you're just... Oh, yeah, that's just
0: asking for trouble. You're, okay, You're
1: getting a meme on that pretty Let, soon. Let's
0: say you're leasing the use of my car. Let's say Great. that. You're That's leasing, much better, <laughs> yeah, much that sound better. Right. you're leasing giddy up you're leasing <laughs> the use of my car okay let's say you're leasing the use of my car and i'm I'm leasing it we have a contract for one year and i lease that car to you for a hundred dollars a month and i've we're, the contract is for one year there is a doctrine in law that basically says this if you default on giving me that hundred dollars a month i have a right to now come to you and say I now demand the full value of the lease. Now you don't just owe me the $100 for the month you missed. You owe me $1,200. You got to give it to me now because you defaulted. So you got to give this to me now or I'm taking the car back sort of thing, right? That's basically the principle at play here. This These movie theater or the, the mall owners who are renting out the space to AMC theaters are essentially saying to AMC, you missed rent. So we want the full value of the full remaining lease plus some damages, and they're calling it $7.2 million. Let's be clear here. They are within their rights to do this. They are within their rights to do this. However, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. This is ass backwards stupid of them because let's look at it this way. You're hurting as the as the uh, mall owners. AMC Theatres is hurting as a result of... Everybody's hurting as a result of this situation. So what do you want to have happen? Do you want AMC to be able to make a comeback and get back on being able to pay rent? Or do you want to screw them over now, thus screwing yourself over a little bit later? You really want to screw AMC over now and then maybe threaten putting them in a position where they're not going to be able to resume being a good tenant and paying you $52,000 a month in rent. So to me, on one hand, morally, they, again, going after them for the $52,000 they're behind on rent, I think that's questionable, but I get where they're coming from. For them to take that next step to go, we want to trigger this legal docu- a doctrine where we can get all the money from you right now. That to me just seems asinine from a moral point of view, but from a practical, in their own self-interest point of view, it seems backwards thinking. Aaron, you know we're talking about uh, you know, huge you know, corporations, but they are this one in particular is feeling the sting here. What was your reaction when you heard about this situation? Do you see things from the point of view of the mall owners from AMC? How do you look at this? Oh, Florida! <laughs> oh, Florida!
1: Oh, Florida! Uh, no, this is not only is this morally reprehensible. It's just bad business You know, we all know that brick and mortar stores Have been suffering for a while And have had to do a, a Have had to jump through hoops To get people to get out of their homes and go physically shopping. You know, Neiman Marcus uh, has just filed for um, bankruptcy, which is huge. You know, Neiman Marcus was sort of the, uh, the, the, the department store bell of the ball. And so it's not unlikely that other big stores like that, Bloomingdale's, Macy's, JCPenney, what have you, are going to follow suit. So malls, really, a lot of these places are only going to have their movie theaters there to drive traffic. I mean, you 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 plan on going to the movies. Okay, well, we're going to go to the movies. Well, before we go to the movies, let's go to the restaurant that's next door to the movie theater and do that. Oh, well, you know what? While we're here, I want to go get a candle at Bed Bath & Beyond and maybe get, you know, Victoria's Secret's having a sale. It The movie theaters drive traffic to the mall for yes. the other brick-and-mortar stores. So to... Uh, Not embrace and love the movie theater If you are a mall owner Is just stupid Like those are the people Those are the That's the one you want to really take care of the most Um, Because people can always shop online For whatever they want Whether it's a new product in a store But if there is a movie That is only out in theaters Eventually people can see it at home But they're not going to be able to see it at home right away So it's, it's really bad business But also Like this is we're they're potentially very close to opening the theaters Ron DeSantis, the mayor of i mean the excuse me the governor of florida not super unlike brian kemp the governor of georgia and georgia is opening tomorrow bowling alleys hair salons and something else restaurants I restaurants think. right but very soon after that they're gonna be the next rollout is opening movie theaters if it goes well for Georgia, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying it will or it won't, if it goes well for Georgia, Florida is probably not far behind them in opening up their restaurants and movie theaters and bowling alleys. So this is a very short-term problem, potentially, for Florida. On top of that, like the movie theaters, like I've already said, only have, are the only real source of income that these malls are going to have to look forward to. But um, long-term... It just, what I say is, how about, this, how about this, Florida? AMC declares Chapter 11 bankruptcy, defaults on whatever, like all of their, their, uh, their, their rent, everything like that, and decides to pull out of Florida and just open under a new name in every other state in the country. Can we do that?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I don't know. You're the one with a law degree.
1: Like, I mean, what happens if AMC doesn't say, doesn't go, okay, here's the, what, are the, what is the full amount that they owe?
0: Uh, I think they said plus I don't know what the actual amount they owe is but plus damages they're going after them for 7.2 uh, 7.2 million yeah in this time that's it's ludicrous it's crazy yeah now like, look I, I understand there, there is also a little a little bit of a predicament that the mall owners are in because in law precedent is actually and sometimes unfortunately very powerful for example let's say that dude who is leasing my pony Sorry, my car. Let's say that dude who is leasing my car, 100 bucks a month, he defaults, right? And I go out. Now, let's say, Aaron, you are also leasing another one of my cars, mm-hmm. right? Different situation, but you default as well. Mm-hmm. If I want to now exercise my right to capture you for the full value now of the lease, you have a legal argument to me that says, well, wait a minute. You had another situation with another person, and you didn't go to have them default. You didn't go after the full amount of the lease. Now, I'm not saying that's all powerful, but you got to be very careful when you're uh, in this sort of a situation about what you're doing, setting precedent. I still think there's a way to work around this. Force majeure. Yeah, Why can't I mean, AMC yeah, just call absolutely. force majeure
1: and say sorry? You know, act of God. This was beyond our control. And I mean, that's what Warner Brothers
0: did. And just you you know, how screwed the mall is going to be if AMC oh. declares bankruptcy. Yeah, they, then <laughs> yes, totally screwed. Like again, yeah. I, Take us take the moral situation about really trying to screw it to AMC when things are hurting right now. Mm-hmm. Take that. As, take that out of it. In the mall's own self interest. They have
1: nothing else that's gonna be, that's generating I, as much I, revenue. I guarantee you, nobody's buying that much, that many candles.
0: Yeah, not right now. Not right now. So the question here is, guys, for you. What do you think about this situation? Again, it's it's easy for us to look at it for just from the point of view of the people owing money like AMC here and not the people who are being owed. But I mean, it is a little bit tricky, but it, to me, it seems like it is in their own best self-interest to work with AMC rather than screwing them over. I don't know. What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, with that down, Let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campus Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campus Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by James Ward, who writes, Hey, John and Aaron. Have you heard the news from Deadline that a Whitney Houston biopic is in the works with Bohemian Rhapsody writer Anthony McCartan set to write and produce the film? I'm excited due to the fact that he's also written The Two Popes, which I loved, uh, Darkest Hour, which I loved, and The Theory of Everything, which I loved. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, it turns out they're finally moving ahead, it looks like, with a documentary, a biopic, on the life of Whitney Houston. This comes to us from the Hollywood Reporter, who writes: uh, Anthony McCartan, the writer of the, uh, the writer behind the Queen biopic *Bohemian Rhapsody*, will pen the screenplay, while Meggie, Stella Meggie, Stella Maggie, who is behind the uh, Isaray romance of the, the photograph, will direct. Pat Houston will produce the movie on behalf of the Houston estate, along with Davis, Primary Waves music, uh, Music's Larry Mestil, Dennis O'Sullivan, and McCartan. With the background of the estate, "I Want to Dance with Somebody," which is the name of the documentary, "I Want to Dance with," or the name of the biopic, "I Want to Dance with Somebody," will be able to utilize Houston's music catalog. The movie does not yet have distribution. That's a big main key thing there that the movie is going to be able to use Whitney Houston's uh, catalog of music because we have seen some documentary projects, at least some that they've tried to get going, that have not had the right to use the music catalog and it ends up feeling a little bit weird and odd. Two different thoughts I have on this. The first th- thought I have on this is, well, of course you do one on Whitney Houston. If you're going to do one on musicians and stuff like that, which I'm not usually not a big fan of biopics on musicians, but if you're going to do one, Whitney Houston is definitely one. She was the best biggest star in the world for a long period of time with a very tragic uh ending and and so that is just something that lends itself to storytelling both as a cautionary tale and as something of great interest to a lot of people so yeah you make a doc you make a, a biopic out of this the one thing that always concerns me a little bit whenever a biopic is being done and the estate of that person are among the producers of the film it always leaves me a little bit of are they going to be very kind in this? Like, are they, are they Are they not going to show us maybe the struggles, the more interesting parts of the story, which makes Whitney Houston to me all the more human and more relatable? But sometimes I worry about that a little bit. But I got to say, if you're going to do a biopic on a musician, a Whitney Houston once used me in no brainer. When I was in grade school, she was like the biggest star in the world. And she's still one of the greatest singers I've ever heard. So this kind of makes sense. Aaron, you hear about them doing a biopic on Whitney Houston. Is this a good Mm. choice to do, and is this a good time to do it? What do you think?
1: It's an amazing, amazing choice. Not only is she, as you said, one of, if not the greatest singer of all time and just a phenomenal performer, you're right. Her life had such incredibly tragic twists and turns, and I had the exact same concern as you did when I saw that uh, her sister-in-law, Pat Houston, was going to be... um, was when, were that the estate was going to be part of it. But Pat Houston, when I did a little bit more digging, she actually was involved in a documentary about Whitney Houston. And one of the things that was revealed in the documentary that she really struggled with, but that she ultimately went along with, was um, the allegation from her own husband, Gary Houston, which is Whitney's brother, that Gary and Whitney were sexually molested by their aunt, D.D. Warwick, which is Dion Warwick's sister who is who has passed away. And she said that was and, and that that was um, sort of what ultimately led to Gary and Whitney and their um, having drug problems and the issues that they have faced. And she said that was a really dark thing. And she had to go to Dion Warwick and um, Sissy Houston, um, uh, Whitney's mom, and say this is what you know they're saying and so the fact that she was willing to go to that dark place and reveal something so horrible about their her own family and what that potentially might unravel leads me to believe that she really is interested in going to those places and also if we look at the success of Bohemian Rhapsody Rhapsody and Rocket Man Part of what made those films successful and relatable was the fact that you saw all of, the, all of the darkness as well as you know, they showed what was on top that the audience got to see, that we as fans got to fall in love with, but then everything that was also going on. It'll be interesting to see if they explore Whitney's relationship with Robin Crawford. That will be very interesting are you, uh, Robin Crawford who um had who wrote a book about her sexual and romantic relationship right. <clears throat> with Whitney Houston and um and so it'll be really interesting if that is explored um I don't know. I, I just I think that she has such a fascinating life story. And uh, and and even Pat has said that part of Whitney's story is a cautionary tale. Yeah. So I think that she's really willing to to show everything and, and it'll just make us fall in love with Whitney all the more.
0: Did you ever did you watch? I, I remember we actually stopped and watched the memorial service for Whitney Houston. Did you see or ever see the Kevin Costner um, speech at her memorial service no. it was beautiful oh I bet if you, if you guys at home if you if you haven't seen it, if you get a chance I'm not sure where you would find it but Kevin Costner uh, giving I, I don't know if it was the official eulogy or, but he was one of the main speakers at her memorial so it was a beautiful and touching speech and if you get a chance to look it up do go look it up question for you guys is what do you think about a biopic on Whitney Houston do you like the idea would you be interested in it jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right with that down let's move on to main topic number two and our second main topic today gets submitted to us by greg t and greg t writes i read the story that hbo has ordered another season of westworld I have to admit, I was a little surprised to hear this because I had heard the ratings for the third season weren't all that great, and I personally haven't loved it like I loved the previous two seasons. Mm, I didn't love the other two seasons either myself. But anyway, is this a case that they feel the numbers are still good enough or a belief that they can get better with season four? Thanks. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And yeah, Greg, I got to admit, I I was a little bit surprised as well to read the announcement that HBO has indeed greenlit a Westworld Season 4. Now, this report comes to us from Variety, who writes... The series saw a large viewership drop off in the season's premiere. That's the third season's. According to Nielsen data, the premiere notched 901,000 viewers in live plus same-day viewing, a 57% drop from season two's opener. In live stream plus same-day alone, the series is down about 50% in viewership compared to last season. Now, it's also important to understand that... Wait, say less than a million viewers. Listen, the overall viewer number was still much higher. But they're saying from live, people who watched it live as a broadcast and then watched it on the same day a little bit later, on the same day, that number was down by half overall. Down by half. Even though numbers climbed in viewership over the week, it still was down by half on that initial data. That's not minor. That's not little. So the question does come... Do we think this is a situation of they think still even at half the numbers, the numbers are good enough? Maybe, because if you're drawing in 7 or 8 million viewers, maybe that's not as many as the 12 million viewers you were getting before. That's still a pretty damn good number. So maybe it's that. And it's also probably a belief that going into season four, now that the audience has adjusted to the fact that they're not in Westworld anymore, maybe that'll carry them a little bit further. I still thought it was an interesting choice. Now, look, I'm not the biggest fan of the world of Westworld. I tapped out after season two. I haven't watched season three, even though the trailer made me interested. And maybe I will check out season three. Aaron... What do you think about them greenlighting Westworld season four? Is this a good move for them? Is it a bad move? What do you think about the numbers we're hearing? What do you make of this? Well, first,
1: I didn't want to do this while you were talking. Oh,
0: (laughs) thank you for waiting. Mm.
1: So refreshing. Uh, Yeah, I am totally confused by this, to be honest, because we've talked about how I loved season one. I was all in every bit of it. And even season two, I was like, okay, I'm still in it. I like it. Not as much in love As I was in season one But I'm still in I'm so excited Season three I have wanted to love it and I just don't. I don't. I. I. Every, and every Sunday, Tom and I tune in because we're like, maybe this will be the episode that changes our minds. You know, we're like those people that just stick around in a really shitty relationship. We're not really getting anything <laughs> out of it. But, you know, it's comfortable. And we really remember the good times. So we're hoping maybe we'll get back there. I. The thing that I, I was thinking about this last night of what is it that makes me just not as excited about the season and you know I like complicated stories I like stories that are really deep and have multiple layers but there's a big difference um, between a big difference but a fine line if that makes sense big difference but a fine line between complicated And convoluted. Yeah. And that's what I think this season is. You know, the first season, what I loved was it was very clear. You had the good guys and you had the white guys. And she when they first walked down the hall and she goes, which hat would you like? The white hat or the black hat? And that moment when you see him halfway through the season pick up the black hat and put it on, you're like, Oh my God. There are so many beautiful moments that Are complicated, but they have a really simple message. And now this season is just like, it's all over the place. Also, in the first season and even in the second season as well, when they were in Westworld, the action was like horses galloping across the land. And, you know, it was a different kind of action. Now, because they're in this futuristic world that we quite frankly see a lot of in a lot of other projects, you know, oh my God, it's Future Los Angeles, never seen that done before. It's kind of it kind of becomes a lot of the same old, same old that we see in other shows. And so I I just it's just it's kind of exhausting. I really want to I really want to keep this relationship going. But, um, you know, unless things get back to the way that they were when Westworld was courting me for my love, I just think that I might have to go on a break.
0: Question here is, guys, what do you think about the decision? I was a little bit surprised given the numbers, but maybe you're not. Hey, maybe you're somebody who's loving season three. I know there are many people who do. What do you think about this announcement? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Joey Luca, who writes... Hi, from Scotland. Well, hello. Thank you for writing in from Scotland uh, and crew. What do you make of the news that a new Star Wars series on Disney Plus will be female driven with a strong martial arts element? Seeing as Rey was a strong female lead, this has to be a good move for Star Wars. Your thoughts. Thanks and stay safe. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And yup apparently again this is not coming from big Gus's gas station movie blog.fart. this is coming from the actual <laughs> trades this is coming from the actual trades there is a new star wars show on disney plus in development now of course we've already got mandalorian we've got the cassian andor thing moving forward uh things seem to be back in motion for the obi-wan series and now there is another one this one comes to us uh from variety who writes a new Star Wars series is in the works that Disney Plus Variety has learned from sources. The series hails from Leslie Headland, the co-creator, showrunner, and executive producer of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Russian Doll, which Robert Meyer Burnett talks about <laughs> all the time he's all about that show he loves that show and um, Chris Carr loves that show too she's talking about that show all the time too anyway details of the exact plot of the series are being kept under wraps but sources say it will be a female centric series that takes place in a different part of the Star Wars timeline of than other projects uh, Headland is said to be attached to write and serve as showrunner on the series with the show currently staffing and that of course comes to us from variety. I gotta tell you what, this sounds all kinds of good to me. Listen, whenever you court and go out and get insane award-winning level talent as storytellers, you're just setting yourself up for good things. I mean, it can go bad, it can go bad. We've seen it go bad before. But generally speaking, you're just setting yourself up for success when you're putting the people who already have demonstrated they know how to make great, compelling on-screen stories and you get them to run something like this as well. Now, listen, listen, listen. I can already hear the man babies uh, crying about, why is it female centric? There's an agenda. Listen, let's just put that to bed and not touch on this again, shall we? Listen, they've already got three other series coming that are all male lead. Okay. That means right now, if this comes out and it's only four shows, that's 75% of their male lead. They got one that's going to happen to be a female lead one deal with it and just move on. So can we move on from that? Thank you. I think this sounds great. I always get excited when you get talented, talented uh, filmmakers uh, and, and storytellers and television people behind the scenes. This is somebody who's really hot right now. Not only did the, does she work on Russian Doll, but if you go through her IMDB, she's got a really impressive resume of stuff that she has worked on before. And I think she can bring something pretty exciting here. Exciting here. Now, that is not to take away from the fact that I mean, will it actually happen? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we've seen a lot of stuff with Disney Plus saying something's going to happen. It hasn't quite happened yet. I mean, we're supposed to be getting Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan goes on hiatus and the and Andor had uh, some problems going around and stuff like that. But listen, I just got to say, overall, I think this is pretty exciting. You get a talented person like this on it. Aaron. You hear about this. I'm not even sure if you've... You and I have never talked about it. I don't even know if you watch Russian Doll or not. But what do you think about the, this announcement? How do you see it?
1: Uh, Russian Doll, phenomenal show. Very, very cool that Leslie Hedlund is coming over and is going to do this. Um, you're going to be a little surprised about what I have to say, though. Okay. <laughs> I really, really loathe the descriptor of female-led... Um, you know, I, I, because, and, and here's why. I love the idea... Of a predominantly female cast, I think it's fantastic. And if this is a world which it's like maybe there's a planet and there's only like <laughs> you know female characters, there is an episode. Um, so I I would get I would go crazy when Tom would watch Rick and Morty because I I didn't know the show, so I would just hear it and it just sounds like a lot of screeching and screaming and fart jokes. And so he got me into watching Rick and Morty by this one sketch or clip that's part of it where Rick and Morty um, or Summer and her grandfather go to this female-dominated planet. And it's really hilarious. Like, they're walking through and... Um, there and, and all the women are greeting each other by saying, I'm here if you need to talk. I'm here if you need to talk. <laughs> and there's restaurants that are just called Chocolate, and there's a li- big loudspeaker that says, Attention, the spider is still in Section 5. Please plan your routes accordingly. Is it cold in here, or is it just me? You know, it's, it's very funny, and it pokes fun at women. And I was like, oh, my God, I would watch an entire television series just based on this on this world. So if they want to make a world that's just women, and it kind of pokes fun at us too, cool, I'm all in. But my problem is... Why are you only releasing the fact that it's a female-centric show? Oh, and they're going to be doing some kung fu or whatever. Like, why say that? Like, if you like, can you read me the headline again? Except, take out female-centric and just put male-centric.
0: Um, let me. See Sorry, you, have to, you weren't planning on going back. Yeah, to that. I wasn't planning but on going, going back. To that point is, to that show. The point yeah. you
1: know, the point is these other shows that you talk about that are predominantly male-driven. Nobody says, oh, we have this upcoming series. We're not going to tell you anything about it, but it's going to be predominantly men. You want to watch? Like, that's exactly what it's saying. And like For me, yes, I want to see shows with more women, obviously, but you don't have to say that's the selling point. Tell me a little bit about the story. Make me fall in love with the story, because ultimately, if the show, d- because also, ultimately, I'm going to finish that. Thought. Ultimately if, fail, if the show does fail Then it looks like it failed Because it was female centric Not because of a million other factors That it could have failed by And also when the first news of it Is is female centric I know that there's a lot of people Not just men but also some women Named Karen Who also are just going to be like Alright I'm not interested in that I'm tuning that out So I would have preferred if they said, "Oh, Leslie Headland is going to be doing this new show, and it's going to be, you know, about martial arts, and this this is a little bit of the story," and then just cast a bunch of women, and then just let us discover that. But I hate the fact that it has to be female centric because you don't have that for male centric shows. You know, I just I I feel like it then goes. it all of a sudden becomes categorized as oh, this is chick-lit. this is chick flick stuff. Well, now, See, to we're be giving fair, ladies something.
0: To be fair, the headline of the story is, and remember, this was debate not, me, coward. Yeah, here's the thing. <laughs> this isn't a this isn't a press release that Disney put out. This mm. is not Lucasfilm put out a press release saying we are doing a new Star Wars show that's female centric. That's not Now, the headline on the Variety article reads: Star Wars series from Russian doll co creator uh, Leslie Headland mm-hmm. in the works at Disney Plus. That's the headline. Now, in the story, uh, further down in the story, the writer of the article, who was Cheyenne, I cannot pronounce her last name, uh, who wrote the article, she does mention that it will be a female Cetric show. She mentions that in the article.
1: Right. But that's what I mean. There's no other information about, like, even if there was anything else but the only thing we have to go on about this show is the fact that it's female-centric and I just feel like it's a little it's a little gimmicky to be honest and I, I feel like it's a little pandering
0: I don't know that I agree I don't and, and you don't have to agree here's, with me here's, you're here's still wrong why I'm not sure why I agree. <laughs> here's why I'm not, well that goes without saying here's why I'm not sure that I agree because at, at this point like Star Wars particularly on Disney Plus right for them to They've got three series coming out, all the male-centric leads. I think there's something to be noted by saying, oh, by the way, this will be the first one that's that's not male led. This is this one's gonna be female centric. This one's gonna because now if this was the first Disney Plus show, don't say it. If it was the second Disney Plus show, maybe don't say it. If it's the third Disney Plus show. You might want to say it. If it's the fourth Disney Plus show and it's the first one they're going to have with a female lead, It's I think it's at least worth a mention in the article. Again, I want everybody to remember, this is not Lucasfilm that came out and put out a press release saying, we're doing a female-centric Star Wars show, everybody. That That's not what happened here. It was Variety broke a story about information they found out they just said in the headline, a new show is coming. And it's later in the article, kind of buried down in the article, that they're saying it's going to be a female-centric-led yes, show. Yes, but you
1: just proved my point because when you said it, you said, oh, and by the way, it's a female-centric show. If And yes, I agree with you. The headline didn't say it. It is in the body of the article. But in the article, it says, we know nothing about this project except the fact that it's female-centric. Well, that's so- all they
0: know, then that's what they tell us.
1: Right, but that's what I'm saying. That information is clearly coming from Lucasfilm. We can't tell you anything, but there's gonna be a lot of ladies... That's what I'm saying is like (laughs) if you're going to tell Variety anything, say a plot point, say something, something besides the fact that, hey, for all the ladies out there that want to watch themselves on the Star Wars, like that's that's why it
0: feels gimmicky to me. But the the fact that this is the first one out of out of all the other shows they developed, this is the first one doing it. I think it's worth noting. It it is
1: worth worth noting, but it doesn't have to be the entire meal. Like, give me tell uh, you know me. I am all about story. When I heard about, people were like, oh, you're gonna watch 1917. And I was like, oh yeah, a bunch of white soldiers fighting in a war that we've already heard about a million times. I can't wait. But then I saw it and I was like, I was wrong. This movie is the balls. Wait, the balls is the worst. That Yeah. <laughs> Just forget I said that. Um, this movie is great. I love 1917. Like barely a woman in sight in the entire movie. It's not about that. For me, I'm all about the story. And so I want to know that Leslie Headland is coming in and there's this amazing new story. And I am going to be like, oh, my God, that sounds so exciting. I want for all the man babies out there to be like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. And then say, and by the way, it's going to be starring a bunch of women. And then I go, oh, my God. And that's awesome, too. But to say, hey, the only piece of information that we're going to leak about this is the fact that it's going to be female-based. But remember, this might not have been information. Like, a lot of times... The they story, got their
0: information from somebody. Yeah, they got it from somebody, but a lot of times, like, when Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, Variety run these stories, it's like it's like the people at Disney are probably, okay, who told them? Like, it's... A lot of times, they have sources, okay, don't tell them it was me that told you, but we're doing this, this, and this. So, right. I All know. I have
1: to go on is what we have in front of us. All right.
0: Well, question here is, guys... What do you think about this idea? First of all, I, I feel like we got sidetracked talking about the one note in the article about the fact that it's going be female-centric. We didn't even talk at all about the showrunner who's doing it. But the question is, guys, what do you think about this? Are you excited about it? Do you, are you not familiar with her work, maybe? Are you somebody who has watched Russian Doll and you're super excited about it? What do you think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Martin House. And Martin House writes, Greetings from Spain. Well, greetings, Martin. I know Tenet hasn't moved their release date yet, but I had assumed that at some point they will. But I just saw that Christopher Nolan and Warner Brothers are holding firm on the date and fully intend to release the movie on July 17th as planned, as long as the theaters are actually open. What do you think of this move and will it hurt their potential box office since social distancing will probably still be in play even if the theaters are open? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, Martin. And yes, one of the films we've been talking a lot about as all these other films, practically all the other films, have moved their release dates and stuff like that has been the curious case of Benjamin Button known as Tenet that has held on to its July 17th release date, despite the fact that everybody else has been moving. Now, I admit, I'm one of those people who's just been assuming, look, at some point, we'll hear about them moving the date. At some point, we'll hear about them moving the date, but they never have. And apparently now, according to some sources, Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan are actually quite committed to staying on that date. All right. This comes to us from IndieWire. Unlike the other would-be summer 2020 titles, In the Heights and Jungle Cruise, Christopher Nolan is holding tight to his July 17th date until and unless circumstances force it from his grasp. Nolan is renowned for his passionate supports of the theatrical experience and the symbolism of being the last blockbuster standing, if not the only new film in theaters. If and when theaters reopen this summer is symbolically powerful. That comes to us from IndieWire. Now, I got to tell you, at first, my thought also was, well, wait a minute. I mean, take even all the other circumstances and all the other potential problems out of play here. If you do release in July, even if the theaters are open, which there is a decent chance the theaters will be open, but they're probably still going to be exercising social distancing. They're probably going to be only selling a limited number of tickets. They're probably going to be making sure there's spaces between their customer seats and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? IndieWire raised up a really interesting point in their article and they wrote this as I'm, I'm going to scroll down here to this one point that they made which i thought was great first mover's advantage they write this it says even if even if theater's opening in june george's aggressively uh early plan could permit early openings in may but nato has stayed as prefers nationwide rollout few will attend without new films Going before other big films would allow Tenet to play virtually on every single screen. Think about that. Yes, there's going to be social distancing, for sure, which will limit the amount of seats that can be sold in a theater. But at the same time, they're going to be the only game in town. And I hadn't thought about that till I read that, that really well-made point in IndieWire. I hadn't thought about this. Oh, so, yeah, you can only put in so many people in the theaters, but guess what? What else are theaters going to show? Tenant is going to be the only major tentpole wide release film in the world. And even if you only have 25% capacity, you're going to own all 25%. You're going to own it all. Now, it, it still brings up the question and the problem of, you know, what do you do about getting enough of a ramp-up time for marketing? When will you know for sure if theaters will be open? Is it even going to be wise for people to go back to the theater? I mean, it's so hard to say from where we're sitting right now when July July 17th, 17th is still practically three months away. It is still very difficult for us to kind of look into a crystal ball and make a wild guess. But the more I think about it and the more I read these articles, at first when I was like, no, 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 they can't keep that release date, I'm starting to think, you know what? Maybe they can. Maybe they can. And, of course, a lot of that will all depend on what state is the world in 60 days from now. Are the theaters actually going to be open? There's a lot of stuff there. But I'm starting to believe that maybe they really will. That Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan here, Aaron, are pro- maybe going to keep this date. But, Aaron, you see this whole thing. You've seen the articles. We, we, I mean, we it's hard to look into the crystal ball. It is still three months away. But, but what do you think about this? Can Christopher Nolan Warner Brothers hold on to this release date? What do you think?
1: You know, uh, they're clearly taking a big gamble, but as we've seen sometimes, big risk, big payoff. I mean, if they are the only game in town, if they are the only big tentpole movie that's taking up the majority of theaters, and if people are feeling comfortable going back to the movie theaters, then yeah, they're going to get a they're going to have a lot of success on this. I would. Bet my left pinky finger that they have a date sort of softly in place for the following summer. Um, Just in case because they as they said, they may still have to move if this is still going on and movie theaters are not open at that point nationwide. um, Then, yeah, they're going to they're just not going to be able to physically open at all. However, as we've already talked about, you know, we have Georgia that's planning on opening movie theaters in two weeks. If that turns into be a success, a lot of other states might follow suit. So um, this could be very successful for them. Obviously, it could be a big uh, a, a big failure as well. But you know, this will be an interesting time to to find out how comfortable people are. It was actually I was thinking about this. I wanted to ask you this: What will it take for you to feel comfortable going back to the movies? I mean, I know that we've talked about when we'll go back. Like, are you going to say, hey, as long as there is social distancing, as long as uh, blah, blah, blah. Like, what's it going to take for you to go back to the theater?
0: Not, not too awful much. And look, I, I, am, I start and end my show almost every day with, it, that guys, we got to do the four things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you. The, the fact of the matter is right now, I, well, all of us. To one degree or another, I go to the grocery store Because I need to go to the store And get food that I might eat mm-hmm. And keep my incredible physique um, I mean, so that's part And there's, I don't see a whole Now, I'm not comfortable going to the grocery store Right now, um, but it's what I need To do, and, and, and so I go I think I need to see A couple things, and I'm only speaking for myself I'm not saying how other people should feel I'm, I'm just speaking for myself I think I need to see You know doctors and scientists not politicians i need to see doctors and scientists telling me that the situation has improved saying that we still need to be careful but we believe that the curve is at, at a point right now that we can feel comfortable to start coming back outside again we feel comfortable that it's okay to open restaurants cuz by the way i'm going to be more nervous in a restaurant than i will be in a movie theater i'll be more nervous going into a restaurant with low ceilings you know, that just as much tight space, sitting in a chair, eating off of a fork, where did they wash this fork properly? Like all that, and I'm not disparaging the restaurant industry. I love all of you restaurants, but I'm going to be more concerned going into a a restaurant than I am going to be into a movie theater. So if the scientists and doctors tell us, say come early June, mid-June, that, hey, we're almost at the point where we can start easing up our restrictions we can start venturing out again we should still be careful all that kind of stuff i'll feel comfortable with it i'll probably go with a mask on my face still Mm -hmm. hell i may even go wearing the rubber gloves i mean I, i don't know um but i think i just need to hear the medical community tell me that hey we're not out of the woods completely but we're at a point that it's okay to start getting back to normal life a little bit if I hear that, I'll feel good. What about you? What, what's it gonna take for you to feel that? Because I know you're very, very cautious in the lockdown as you should be. And yeah. Anne loves the mask you made her, by the way. But I mean, what's it gonna take for you to feel good? Like, yeah, I feel, I'm not 100% confident, but I feel like I can venture out to a movie theater again. What's it gonna take for you?
1: Well, okay, so just with the, with the grocery store and the movie theater difference, like for me, and when I go to the grocery store, it's like I'm playing Frogger. I mean, I'm constantly <laughs> like, you get away from me. You get. I mean, they now have the one way on the aisles and I am totally that asshole that points out to people, there's an arrow, you're going the wrong way. I'm like, you can't <laughs> see my face. You don't know what I am like. so, But I'm like, "There's. this is a one way road. This, um, I am that annoying person in the grocery store. I, I will 100% make sure that you are socially distant from me. You know, you go to a movie theater and you choose your perfect seat, but then... And nobody sits on either side. What if somebody sits right behind you? What if somebody sits, you know, two things behind you and then they're coughing and you're stuck there for two hours? For me, I don't know what it's going to take. I think I, I really think it's going to take um, more testing. Like, I'm going to need to know that um, I can get a hold of a test or, like, the antibody test, if we can get some positive, you know, some antibody tests that actually work 100% of the time. I don't know. I, it's really it's – so, it's such – Uh, foreign territory that I kind of think it's just going to be a slow crawl out the door again. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm really for, for me, I'm seeing firsthand my friend, Nick Cordero with today is day 23 in his coma. And because of COVID and, you know, Tom and I have been immunocompromised and we've had a lot of health problems. I don't want to go back to that. Like, so for me, uh, and I'm not saying anybody else should do what we're doing, but for me, I, 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 I'm, I'm really cautious about it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's going to take
1: a lot, I think.
0: It's very difficult. Again, it, I got to reemphasize the fact that we are Jesus. living. We, okay. So we've been in this. Oh, my dogs are at the door. So we are living in a situation right now where we've been under this for a little bit over a month. We've been in this lockdown for a little bit over a month, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's been interesting to see how much things have evolved and changed just in, in this one month. And we are still we're talking about right now mid-July, mid to late July, which is still almost three months away. Yeah. And it's just so difficult. Again, I've said it uh, several times, but I think it's so important to understand that right now, it's really difficult for us to say where we're gonna be. Because listen, totally. if comes mid if we come to mid-June, I'm sitting here saying, Yeah, I think I can be coaxed back in the movie theater if the situation's right. But if we get into mid-June and things are spiking again and everything looks just as dire, well then of course not. I'm not I'm not gonna in one month back in the theaters, no way but if we get to mid June mm. and and our doctors are telling us you know what it's we're we're getting there it's improving and they've opened up, some states have opened up hair salons and restaurants again, and, and we're seeing that because we did the right things the past six weeks, that we're not seeing new spikes and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I feel better, but I'm going to need to get to mid June to really develop my thoughts on this. You but know,
1: the, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, th- go on, please. The, the Will Smith movie that I was supposed to do. Yes. Um, I saw that that was supposed to open uh, November 25th of this year. It's now been pushed to November 21st of 2021. It's being pushed an entire year, and a lot of these movies are being pushed that far out so um, uh, I, I would not be surprised like I said if they do have that date but one thing about restaurants and this is just a given I learned this when I was going through chemo the menu always always <laughs> because the menus never the silverware you know it get, at least gets run through the dishwasher the menus never get clean they're so gross
0: that's why I love restaurants like Islands where the, the menus are paper, and they throw um, them out as, mm-hmm. as soon as you leave, and then they bring a new menu to the table every time. Love it. Thank you, Islands. All right. So this is an interesting question. So we got Christopher Nolan, the big champion of the movie theater experience, and Warner Brothers kind of sticking with him, saying, we're sticking with it July 17th. Christopher Nolan says, the movie's going to be done and ready to play in theaters on July 17th, but will it happen? I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day, and I put it to you guys. And the question of the day is that simple. Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan are committed to keeping their July 17th date for Tenet as long as the theaters are open. Considering that's almost three months away, is that reasonable or questionable? And right now, I put this up just before the show started. Uh, 1,355 of you guys have responded to it. Right now, only 36.4% of you are saying it's reasonable. Yeah, July, they could be able to do that. 63.6% of you are saying, no, that's questionable to say that. We don't think it's going to happen. So that's where we set it right now. I think, again, it's going to be interesting to take the same poll in June and see where we're all at come June, because that's going to be the big thing. But that's what you guys are saying right now. And of course, guys, we want to know what you guys think. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Uh, we are now going to move into the live questions part of the show now before we do you know we we normally take a little bit of a break but what I decided to do was to get a jump start on answering the questions so I enlisted the help of Earth 2 John to come in and get the ball rolling answering the live questions so right now uh, I'm going to take a break here with Aaron for about 10 10 or 15 minutes or so and I'm going to throw it over to Earth 2 John to start answering the questions you guys have been sending in since yesterday including a couple of the leftover questions from yesterday show as well so let's now throw it over to earth to john take it away well, thank you, Earth Prime John. Let's start getting caught up on those questions, shall we? All right, while you're taking a break, uh, Daily Asgardian News writes, since you and Rob are here, oh, Rob's not here right now, I believe there's a middle ground between your points of view on objectivism on films. Movie reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic can be used to show which movies are objectively good. Actually, that's completely not true uh, because the getting scores from Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic's all that is is a collection of the subject Subjective opinions of all those different movie critics and then they just kind of gather up all those subjective opinions look there there is no getting around it art is subjective because the only way by definition that something can be proved as objectively true is something that can be empirically measured you know how tall is that building you can measure that how fast was that guy you can time that how heavy is that stone you can weigh that How funny was that joke? it's up to the subjective opinion of the individual listener and that's just the way it is that is the definition of subjectivity and yeah I like the idea of going to Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic but again that's just collecting up a bunch of data of the subjective opinions of a bunch of other people so I, I like where you're going for though I do like what you're going for alright Mr. Graham 91 writes been rewatching the MCU in release order it's fascinating to see all the subtle hints at future movies to come the mind of Feige and his team I would say can be classified as historical. Yeah, now look, don't be fooled. As much as I love Kevin Feige, don't be fooled. He'll be the first person to tell you that not every hint and thread they lay out early on, they necessarily had a concrete plan of following up on later. Some, yes, but not all of them. And he'll be the first one to tell you that. The real genius of Feige and his team, though, is his way of, from moving, not just sitting back and planning five years in advance. Yeah, he does that, but then he... He just knows how to navigate things as they progress at the same time. He can adapt and change his plans as he goes. And that's just been the most amazing thing when you combine that. Long-term planning and the ability to adapt and change as he goes is absolutely incredible. All right, Johnny writes, Hey, John and Rob. A movie popped up on my Netflix called The Losers. I love The Losers. Uh, it has what today could be called an A-list cast that was not necessarily considered an A-list cast at the time that it came out. I hit it. Iris Chris Evans, Zoe Saldana... And why am I forgetting the guy of the name of the guy who plays the comedian and Watchman? And he's on Supernatural. And I forget his name anyway. And he's amazing. And he's actually the lead guy in it anyway. In a barely B movie, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, have you seen it? Thanks. And bring on the sanitized. Filthy. As a matter of fact, yes, I love the losers. I think it's great. And actually one of the best post credit scenes you're ever going to see in a movie, like the way they run the credits with, with the story. It's really, really clever and intriguing. Matter of fact, I interviewed Chris Evans at the very first public screening of Captain America, the first Avenger. And the very first thing I said to him, I said, oh, by the way, I love The Losers. And he's like, right? Me too? I mean, that was my first kind of conversation with him. I'm glad you mentioned that, Johnny. All right. Ryan Loner writes, Rob says it would be hard to make a Western version of Hal's Moving Castle. Funny thing is, it's based on a British novel. That may be true, but that doesn't kind of change the fact that it would be difficult to adapt what that was visually into something the North American audience could kind of, or the Western audience, could really you know have a palette for like there's a lot of western things that exist in a different medium that would not necessarily translate well onto western screens you you know what i'm saying and yeah i I agree with robin that howl's moving castle would be as it is and as we all know it and love it i think it'd be very very difficult to translate into for a north american audience without losing a lot of its magic all right mr graham 91 writes we're talking about tentpole movies being pushed back, but what about the Oscar contenders? If their productions have been halted as well, will there be a significant lack of films for Oscar season? I the, the thing about that is a lot of times these Oscar contending movies, look, what is true is that you'll often get these movies that are being worked on right up until the last minute that they release. True. But it's also true that a lot of films are completed and in the can Long before they're ever scheduled to come out, particularly Oscar kind of movies where they make a film and they the studio realizes, you know what, this has got the potential to be an Oscar contender. Let's set it for the end of that year. And quite often with these Oscar contending movies, not always. And not even a vast majority of the time, but quite often, these Oscar contender movies are often completed and, and waiting on a shelf for Oscar season long before they're ever supposed to come out. So how big of an impact will that have? Well, that'll depend on how much longer the whole lockdown goes. Like, for instance, Spain yesterday announced that they were going to start to allow film production again. So it all depends on how much longer this goes. It might be a very, very small impact on Oscar season films. It might be a major one. Mr. TJ Lynn writes uh star wars lord of the rings harry potter and now hunger games are franchises tackling what happened in the past aka prequels i don't understand this why do you think telling stories backwards is so common in hollywood the main reason is this it's the same reason why studios understandably really like doing franchises and and doing movies on recognizable ip starting with audience What's the best word for it? Awareness is a big thing. So, for instance, with the Hunger Games thing, doing the prequel, you're focusing on President Snow. People know Hunger Games, and they know President Snow, and so that gives them a little bit of an edge as far as marketing it to an audience, you know what I'm saying? With Star Wars, we know, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we know who young Anakin is, even if we've never met young Anakin. This is before the prequels. And so you can see the allure Of Doing that so I get it. I'm also not a big fan of it. It doesn't mean it can't turn out great I'm also not a fan of it But I do understand why the studios feel that appeal because you're already starting with audience awareness To a lot of degrees and that's often a big hurdle to overcome. All right Uh, Naftali writes I know you said spider multiverse won't happen in dr. Strange But I remember the old 90s spider-man did it in the finale and I would love to see it. Yeah again I just don't see that happening. There's been a lot of people wondering Well, my gosh, if Sam Raimi, who directed Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, if Sam Raimi is directing Doctor Strange, he could bring in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. He won't do that. And and that's not something Kevin Feige would be for. You know, Kevin Feige, you know, amidst all the stuff that he does, he's also likes to keep very clear boundaries and distinctions. Look at the way that he's treated Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Netflix Marvel shows. He's kept them very, very separate. It's like, hey, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is there. That's great. And they can reference us all they want, but we're not going to reference that. The movies are not going to reference Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hey, the Netflix shows are there. They're great. And they can reference stuff in the movies if they want, but the movies are not going to reference what happens there. Kevin Feige has been very clear about keeping very strong, clear boundaries, so I really, really doubt it. I'm not going to lie. It would be... There would be a geekdom to seeing that kind of happen, but I really don't think Kevin Feige is going to allow them to go in that direction. All right, Lord Vanderkill writes, I honestly don't think this version of Spider-Man fits the, the Venomverse. They need their own Spider-Man to appear later on, maybe. I don't know that I agree with that, Lord Vanderkill. I really don't know that I agree with that. I mean, one of the great things about Spider-Man is that His character is so uniquely him. I mean, even in the comic books, Peter Parker is very uniquely Peter Parker. It's not a matter of fitting Peter Parker in with whatever villains there are. It's taking Peter Parker, confronting him with a villain and letting its own chemistry kind of develop. And so I got to say, while I do not think like, Robert thinks we're going to see Spider-Man maybe make a cameo appearance in the new Venom and Venom 2. I don't agree with them. I mean, it might. I'm not saying it's impossible. I, I don't think it will, though. I, I just don't think they will. But that's not to say I don't think there couldn't be a good mixture there. Because I think it very well could be. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right, Joseph, Joseph's Book Reviews writes, Trolls is marketing itself as a 420 stoner flick I, I guess in a way it kind of was with the whole metal thing I guess kind of in a way it was and I've seen I know the commercial you're talking about and they sort of are in a way which kind of made me raise my eyebrow too uh, Charles N.C. writes Do you think after this is over we'll see films with people stuck at home I would love to see a movie with Elijah Wood Daniel Radcliffe and Toby Maguire Listen I wouldn't be surprised at all as a matter of fact there are already some indies being made in the context of quarantine, there's already some movies being made like in that context as it is, which I think is really rather fascinating and, and interesting approach to doing something like that. So I wouldn't doubt at all if there aren't already Hollywood scripts being written. Uh, to do something like that. So I think you're absolutely onto something there, Charles. I really do. All right, Scott D. writes Venom's universe with Holland Spider-Man has a solution that doesn't affect the MCU. Parallel universes. Sony put the idea in far from home for a reason. Yeah, I'm not sure. Now remember, I don't know that Sony put that in far from home. Because you remember Sony's the distributor. Marvel was the production company making the movie. Now they worked with Sony. Sony assisted in that. So which parts of far from home were Marvel and which parts were Sony's influence? We don't really know for sure. I, I mean, that is a way to do it. And we've talked about that on this show before. I, I, But you know me, I lean away strongly from multiverse and multi-universes because, uh, to me, it's a lazy man storytelling device. But, I mean, you never know. It it is something they could explore. I mean, they've got it in the MCU for a reason. Maybe they'll take advantage of that. We'll have to wait and see. But you're not alone in that thought, Scott. You're not alone in that thought. All right, Charles N.C. writes, Any word on the Green Lantern Corps on HBO Max? None. Uh, Other than the announcement that they said they were going to be doing it, I've heard nothing. Now, that's not necessarily surprising. If they just reached those deals and said, yes, this is what we're doing, it literally could be months until they start anything in pre-production or or even writing scripts or anything like that not to mention we're also in the middle of the lockdown so no work could be done right now anyway so i'm not surprised we haven't heard anything and it could be a while longer before we do but i wouldn't be worried about the fact that we haven't heard anything don't be worried about that quite yet charles uh bretner writes check out operation annihilate uh t o i don't know what that is the crew fights a brilliant pandemic a brilliant pandemic uh, and the mistakes they make along the way. Very appropriate for today. So Operation Annihilate. Again, I don't know where that is from or what it is. If you could email me, Charles at John at the John campus and John, campy of earth prime i'm sure we'll get that uh and just let uh, me know where that is because it sounds intriguing i just have no idea what sttos is all right uh triangle man 2k6 writes what canceled series would you like to see received revived on streaming i would like to see firefly and happy endings uh do a final season on hulu or disney plus firefly will never happen That'll never happen. You're never going to get that that collection and group of people back together again. And Joss Whedon is now working on many other things. So I don't think that's ever going to happen. But God, I love, remember a couple of years ago at Comic-Con, they had a big reunion panel of Firefly. And like, that's all everybody wants, by the way, is I would love to see it. And listen, I'll take just a Serenity sequel I thought Serenity was absolutely fantastic. I'll take hell. Like I said, I'll just take a Serenity sequel. Thank you very much. Sign me up for that. Right. Mike Schwenk writes, can we raise money towards a goal for a charity of your choice? Uh, that after the year of growing your hair out, you cut it like Brad Pitt in fury. Yeah. I was saying that now that I have cut my hair, because I just couldn't take it anymore, but now my hair is all one length. See, my hair before wasn't all one length. And so again, but now my hair is all the same length. And I'm actually seriously considering like going a year growing it up. See if I can get my old band hair back. I don't know why, but my wife was interested in seeing it. So I might. So you never know, Mike. Let's see what happens. First of all, let's just see if I can actually go more than three months without cutting my hair. Because I get real frustrated with my hair real fast. It's like buzz it off right away. All right. Naftali writes, hashtag release the breakdance cut. Hey, Send me a million... Look, not even a million dollars. A $300,000 cashed Super Chat, and we will talk about releasing the breakdance cut. Then and only then will we talk about that. All right, Mike Schwenk also writes, Speaking of Fury, which was great, uh, it is my favorite war movie over the last decade, and I don't think enough people have seen it, so I highly recommend. The acting ensemble is top-notch and made me realize how talented Shia really is. Listen, you got Shia LaBeouf. And listen... I was trying to tell people for a long time, listen, there's a reason Spielberg thinks this kid's a prodigy. But it was in Fury when he's acting alongside a Brad Pitt, a John Bernthal, that caliber guy, and he was the best part of the movie. And that movie's really good and, and Pitt's great in it and Bernthal's great, but Shia LaBeouf I think that was the movie that a lot of people went, oh, he's not just the annoying kid from Transformers. And he's not just Indiana Jones failed son in a failed Indiana Jones movie. I think that's the movie that a lot of people woke up on him. And I'm glad that they did. All right. James uh, Bethea writes, have you seen Road to Paloma directed by Jason Momoa? I have not. Wait, unless it's. Wait a second. I might have. One second. Uh, Road to Paloma. I was about to say, no, I haven't. But if it's this movie that I am thinking of... Oh, it is not the movie I was thinking of. No, I have not seen this. This clearly did not play in theaters. Uh, so it's obviously got it's got his wife in it, Lisa Bonet. Uh, it's got himself in it. Lance Henriksen's in it, so that's always cool. But clearly this was not something that played in theaters. I wasn't even familiar with this film, James, to be honest with you. All right, just a couple more, and then we'll throw it back to John from Earth Prime and you guys and your live questions. Uh, Mike Schwenke writes uh lastly on fury directed by david Ayer, which is the reason i got so excited that he was directing suicide squad fanboys have been tough on him since suicide squad which i get the movie falls apart but i think he's a fantastic between end of watch which is incredible fury and bright decent i wasn't a big fan of bright to be honest with you curious on your thoughts on david Ayer. i like him very much and listen i'm in the minority i had fun with suicide squad I had fun with his Suicide Squad. I I thought it was a good time. It was a hot mess of a movie, but there was a lot of the stories that have gone around about the drama behind the scenes of it. But overall, I liked it. I had fun with it. It's a hot mess, but I liked it. And I think he is a tremendous director. But listen, you can think somebody's a tremendous director and not necessarily like everything that they do. And I don't. I certainly don't like everything that Ayer's done, but I think he's a tremendously talented dude. Uh, we'll take one more here just because I like the, the question. Uh, movie suggestions, No Holds Barred. Is that the Hulk Hogan one? Hold on a second. No Holds Barred. Oh, yeah, that's the Hulk Hogan one with the dude who in uh, wrestling was known as Zeus. What was his actual name? Tommy Tiny Lister, who was also in The Dark Knight. Remember, he was one of the prisoners on the boat. Tommy tiny lister zeus i remember they even tried to bring him from this movie into actual wrestling and it was a well it didn't quite work out the way they had hoped for all right guys that will do it for me on earth Two. thank you so much for allowing me to be here and now let's throw it back over to john on earth prime Thank you so much, John from Earth Two. I appreciate that, and uh, appreciate, you guys. By the way, guys, what do you think about that? About me getting a, a head start on the the questions that get sent in instead of the four minute down countdown clock. Let me know what you guys think about that, and maybe we'll make that a regular thing. Anyway, let's get over and continue on where Earth Two John left off. This one comes to us from Brizzle, who writes, "Love your show. I can't help. Uh, I can't help but think talk of movies coming out in 2021 or 2022 is overly optimistic. I am not even confident most of these movies will even be finished. I, I, I think I feel very confident. Like you know, we're just talking about things like." uh will will tenant be able to keep its july 17th release date that's the question look no 2021 2022 these things i have no question about yes we are getting back to normal or, or at least whatever the new version of normal will be we will get there um and it will be sooner rather than later sooner being a relative term like sooner in the next six months something like that three months who knows whatever but i have very very little doubt that we will be able to get back to that. And I think 2021 and 2022 really right now aren't in question, I don't think. And maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I honestly, I really don't think that's the question. The real big question is the rest of 2020, that's where the little bit of the question mark resides. All right, uh, moving on now. Anonymous uh, writes, t- you know, maybe if I brought up the questions. There we go. Uh, an anonymous your rights, top Men. Back to fun facts. Actor William uh, Hootkins, sadly no longer with us, played Major Eaton in Raiders of the Lost Ark, who said the top men line. Such one of the great moments of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, He also played Rebel Pilot, Red Six, uh, Porkins in Star Wars, and Gotham PD Eckhart in the uh, 1989 Batman. I didn't know about that one. I love... I love the idea of these character actors, and finding out oh, they played this and this, and they played this and this. It's like the guy who played um, the what was the name of the character in Game of Thrones is it the Meister? Is that what he was? Anyway, but he was also the bad guy in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and he was also the captain of the uh, of the Walker of the ATAT Walker in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, you may start your landing. Like, this. all say, I love hearing like these stories of the, these character actors and finding out all these major things that they were in. All right, next one up comes us from Brizzle, who also writes, I'm sorry for just making doom and gloom comments. I'm watching the news too closely and getting freaked. There's a better question. Do you have any interest in seeing a Sith and Jedi numbering in the hundreds in a fight similar in scale to Helm's Deep? I want. Well, I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't build a whole movie around that per se but would I be down for if there's a movie and a part of that movie is going to be this huge Braveheart style Sith versus Jedi? You know, hundreds or thousands of them rushing towards each other and getting to some huge, epic, incredible battle. Oh, hell yes! Of course I am. Uh, Z- uh, Zayian writes, "Hey John, I just saw that there will be there. I just saw there will be blood. What a deep and beautiful film. I wish it would have been more Hollywoodish slash entertaining. What do you think of the character of Daniel Plainview? Do you think he loved uh, H.W.? Thoughts on the ending, Dano." Uh, as riddler well i mean and by the way paul dano will never get the credit that he deserves for his role in there will be blood unfortunately because he's acting alongside what i argue is the greatest male lead performance in cinematic history i I really i think daniel day lewis in there will be blood is the best lead actor performance i've ever seen I, I just think is that, and it's because of that that I think Paul Dano's incredible performance in There Will Be Blood is often criminally under overlooked. I love this movie, Aaron. I don't. You and I have never talked about it, but did you ever have a chance to see uh, There Will Be Blood? I saw it
1: when it first came out, but you know what? I think that there—that's the case with a lot of really talented actors who are who have entire careers. I mean, you were just talking about character actors from Game of Thrones who you then go back and go, "Oh my god, they were in this," and, and Game of Thrones is a treasure trove yeah. of actors that just go on to every other project and it's really exciting to see them pop up in other things and paul dano I feel like he kind of is that guy in everything that he does. He always, he, in a way, he's kind of like Michael Shannon. You know, for years, Michael Shannon was just the guy that was, was solid every single time. And he was always so good. Um, and he was working with these huge leading uh, you know, star actors who got a lot of the credit. Um, but people who really know movies and people who really love talent, always, that always shines through. You know, and Paul, yeah. and because of that, Paul Dano continues to work because he not only shows up and is good, but he makes the lead actor look
0: even better. Yep, I agree. He's just he is fantastic. All right, uh, Zal writes. Uh, also saw Fargo for the second time, um, and I rest. Probably meant really, really like the second time watching, um, watching it. What do you think of its script? That conveys a lot of themes and morals. I saw it as a movie about satisfaction and appreciating what you have, no matter the quality. Listen, the interesting thing about the the movie Fargo, which by the way I have still never seen the TV show Fargo. I, I think. Do you watch that show, Aaron? I think I, I don't. Okay. I, I, somebody was maybe it was Chris who was telling me she watches the show. I've never yeah. seen the show. I've heard the show is great. Fargo is wonderful. As a movie, it's so weird, and and it just takes these weird twists and turns. And I love look. I'm a big fan. One of the things I love about comic movies it's the fantastical taking place within the mundane. And there's something about that that's also in Fargo. When you look at your main characters mm-hmm. and the events that now suddenly happen, like to me, it's really, really riveting on that level. I've always enjoyed that movie. Do you remember it? Because it was a while ago. Was that, came that out. the Wachowski brothers? Did the Wachowskis do it? I can't remember if the Wachowskis... Somebody... The chat room probably knows. Oh, I'm sure the chat room knows. They've already said who who it is. Call a second. Because I know
1: that Frances McDormand... Who uh, won
0: an Academy Award for that, by the way.
1: Yes, and she credits uh, the director or directors... No, it was the Cohen brothers. I I knew it was one of the brother things, yes. Excuse me.
0: Just a frog in my throat. Nothing to worry about. What were you saying? You were, you were in the middle of a thought and then you coughed. No. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, no, no. I was just saying that she, uh, the Coen brothers directed it and she credits them for starting her career.
0: Right. And and of course, and that was the, her With first Fargo. Academy Award because yes. she's, she's won others, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next one up. Willow writes... Since you mentioned the movie the other day, I love the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Just for the title, spoiler alert: Jesse James gets killed by Robert Ford. It's all about the execution, no pun intended. I'll tell you what: oh. I I do hate the title. I hate the title. But again, it's a situation where the title does not affect the quality of the film. The movie is brilliant, and it is not your typical what you would expect at Western with you know uh, Brad Pitt. And Casey Affleck would be, you think it's this high action kind of, West? it's not. It's deep, and it's character based, and it's just awesome. Did you ever have a chance to watch The I, Assassination?
1: I didn't see it, but a I agree with you on it. the
0: title. I don't like long titles. Yeah.
1: The Birds of Prey and the Fabulous, fabulous Emancipation blah, 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 blah. And of and One And Even Clinton. Whitney yeah. Houston. I want to dance with somebody. I'm like, just, we can... We can we can shorten that up. I don't like those long titles. <laughs> but it, I don't I don't like a lot of sand. I don't like a lot of snow. Uh, <laughs> I don't like a long title.
0: Don't like the long titles, yeah. But I I do love the movie, guys. A lot of you have not seen the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Watch it. It's great. Thanks for bringing that up, Willow. An anonymous viewer writes: One of my favorite director actor collaborations is. Uh, Uh, Guinness and Lean from Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai, Dr. uh, Zavargo. Zavargo. Zavargo, thank you. Uh, Passage to India and two uh, Charles Dickens movies. To me, they're top five when it comes to collaborators. Where do you rank them? I don't walk walk around with my thoughts. I mean, obviously, you think of the collaborations. You think of uh, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. You think of Martin Martin Scorsese and and Robert De Niro. Then you think of Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, Then you think of, I mean, There's a number of those types of collaborations, but I don't really—I've never really thought about ranking them, uh, so to speak. So I don't really know uh, where I'd put them. I mean, Steven Spielberg with Harrison Ford—I mean, they did three of them together that I loved. Uh, Well, actually, they did four. One of them, one of which I didn't love so much. Uh, But listen, River Kwai is in my top fifteen, like all-time favorite films. And while it is sacrilegious to say, when I think of uh, Sir Sir Alec Guinness. I don't actually automatically think of Obi-Wan. And I don't know why, because those are my favorite films of all time. My mind goes to River Kwai. I'm not really sure, but that is a great one to point out, Anonymous. All right. The Nerd Aaron writes, if Disney were an RPG, Elsa is a sorceress whose Munchkin player uh, min-maxed like her crazy. Uh, Min-maxed her like crazy. But her savvy DM makes sure every flaw chosen for points comes into play. And when Elsa's player rolls a one, making that ice bridge. I remember... We used to play a role-playing game called DC Heroes. And you didn't play Superman and Batman, but you created a superhero character within the world of the DC Cinematic Universe, right? And part of the selection, the character creation process was selecting specific advantages and specific disadvantages. And the game master, a good game master, always knew how to bring those specific disadvantages into play. I remember one time we were playing with this one guy in our group who decided to make his advantage can't be killed
1: (laughs) and we were we were all
0: like come on you can't it doesn't say in the rule book i can't make that one come on common sense says you can't make that one of your advantages but seriously he tried to make one of his advantages can't be killed but you're right a good game master you know, I gotta get. You know, I, I haven't. Tr- I tried to get Tom, but I haven't tried to get you. We should try to get Aaron into our Dungeons and Dragons night. We should see if we can get you because Anne is our dungeon master. We should see if we can get you to play one session of Dungeons and Dragons. Wait,
1: hey, I mean, I'll I'll try anything once. once. I'm 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 not saying I'm not opposed to it. I just don't know. I don't know anything about it. You
0: you will learn very quickly. But we'll we'll do it once we're actually we're playing virtually over Zoom right now. Yeah. But we'll I,
1: I, I I like. I'll need to be physically, in the room with the us. Room. Yeah. So
0: once we're letting more than one person come into our house at a time. We we will do that and have you play that with us. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, thanks for that, Nerd Aaron. Uh, Nerd Aaron also writes, "Uh, we should also uh, recommend movie soundtracks to listen to when busy with other stuff. I'll start with The Last Starfighter. I love (laughs) The Last Starfighter so much. Yes, the whole movie is awesome and the music is one reason why. Also, uh, Star Crash, John Barry, didn't phone it in at all. I'm not familiar with that one. To me, I only can listen to movie soundtracks when they're movies that I love And they immerse me in reliving the movie. So, for instance, I can pop on any track of the Lord of the Rings soundtrack and I'm instantly teleported to Middle Earth in my mind. Like, I'm instantly taken there. Obviously, with the Star Wars soundtracks as well. Random soundtracks I can't get into because, to me, the soundtrack is so intricately connected with the movie itself. I need to have that experience with it. Nerd Aaron also writes, Indiana Jones and the uh, the, uh, Crystal Skull, most overrated uh complaints the fridge the aliens most underrated complaints the title i already made a better one uh it just lacks the heart and excitement of previous films i've always made the argument actually that indiana jones uh and the kingdom of the crystal skull is actually not a bad adventure movie it's just not a good indiana jones movie like i've made this argument before if you call that movie uh Dash McCollum and the Adventures in the Jungle. If you, That was the name of it, and it was some adventure named Dash McCollum, whatever. It's a perfectly fine adventure movie, but it just it didn't feel like an Indiana Jones movie to me. But anyway, that's just me. Jared's Reviews writes, What's a movie you've seen uh, that felt like... What's a movie you've seen that felt like that the that felt like that the magic of it was gone after the first viewing. For me, it's Sausage Party after watching it a second time. <laughs> I didn't think it was really that funny, but I'll never forget seeing that ending packed in theater. I, Aaron, I don't know. Not everybody has. I don't know if you saw Sausage oh, Party. Oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you straight up. So I thought Sausage Party sucked. I, I thought it absolutely sucked. But, but, I was in... St- Ditches that oh, yeah. last five minutes. It's a terrible movie. It's an t- awful movie. It's an but, awful movie. <clears throat> but the last five ten minutes. Yeah. Oh my god! I laughed so hard.
1: It's one of those movies that I definitely am glad that I saw one time, but I have no need to see it again. You, you watch so it with
0: your it... grandmother, and oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Oh my god! Yeah, the, it's
1: a Christmas tradition.
0: The ending of that movie is so. I mean, I'm not going to mm-hmm. say it's completely unexpected because I mean the whole movie's raunchy, so you expected mm-hmm. a ra- run.
1: But it's raunchy on, but like, it's, it's it's next level raunchy. <laughs> it's next
0: level raunchy yeah. that I was shocked. And so and I can watch that ending 10 minutes every day. But mm-hmm. the rest of the movie I thought was really rather terrible. You know what? One movie that I absolutely loved the first time, but it lost a lot of its magic the second time, not because of the quality of the film, but just because once it hits you that first time, you can't be surprised by it again. And that was uh Borat. Oh, right. Yeah. Borat, I think, is a brilliant movie. So good. The social commentary, the way Sasha Baron Cohen holds up a mirror mm-hmm. to our own culture as we have to look at it in our own faces in a very ridiculous way. I think the movie's brilliant. Yeah. But the second time I watched it, because I already knew everything that was coming, it, it lost a lot of its impact. Again, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it, I highly, it's for the first viewing is brilliant. Uh, what did you think about Borat? Oh,
1: I thought it was hilarious. But Be- because that's the thing, there's also there's a commentator on the Daily Show, and I'm forgetting his name. He's the white guy uh, who goes out and does like commentary, um, and he will go to places and just interview people and ask them basic questions, just like Borat does. And he'll, as you said, shine a mirror up, and they're not. He's not trapping them. He's just simply asking them their opinion. And the fact that people say. It's 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 really a fascinating look at how when people live in any bubble, whether that's you know I mean I I'm from South Louisiana. There's definitely a bubble down there. I currently live in Hollywood. There's a bit of a bubble here too. Like there's bubbles everywhere, but how um, how ingrained in the truth of what someone's actual opinion is uh, is it, it, so clear when people are you know just just talking off the cuff it, i think it's really fun to watch that but you're right after the first time you go okay I, I i get this moving on what's next all
0: right next up here uh oh she's they just correct me on how to pronounce this uh uh, Grow Tigers Grow Tigers right? I have two Go Tigers Go Tigers Is two
1: G E G E A U X? yes Yeah, that's a South Louisiana term Speaking of which Oh My grandmother's maiden name Was Bro And so if you're Cheering on the LSU Tigers Of which my uncle Was the first Left-handed quarterback Number 13 uh, You say Go Tigers
0: And of course They have like The best coach right now Mm-hmm <laughs> Talks like this mm-hmm. And USC had him By the way Just want to remind Everybody who's in L.A. USC had him and he wanted to stay at USC and USC said, nah, you're not good enough. So what do you do? He went to, to LSU, won him a national title. That's all. What's That's his all name? He uh, Co- Why am I forgetting coach's name? Um, Tom just- talks about him a lot. But yeah, he was saying that. He was like, I'm oh, yeah, as soon runners. as he went
1: to he's LSU, he just like world.
0: turned it around. He's like got constant Batman voice. And I'm forgetting. Co- Why am I forgetting the coach's name? I love this guy. But he's got constant Batman voice. It's amazing. It's like the best voice in the world. All right. Uh, I have two quarantine picks, both Westerns from 1979. Uh, I was the predecessor to Cannonball Run starring Kirk Douglas. One was, I thought I said I, one was the predecessor to Cannonball Run starring Kirk Douglas, um, Arnold and Margaret and a bunch of others. The villain, uh, the other is Harrison Ford and Gene Wilder's The Frisco Kid. Oh, I like Frisco Kid. I'm not familiar with the other ones. One was Predecessor. Was it Predecessor to Cannonball? I'm not quite sure what you're saying the name of it is. Starring Kirk Douglas, Arnold and I'm not sure which movie we're talking about there. Frisco Kid, I like a lot. Listen, we've been talking a lot about the fact that... This is a good time to get picked up or to catch up on a lot of classic movies. But in particular, I know a lot of people haven't watched a lot of the classic westerns. This is a good um, genre to really get up on uh, if you haven't done so before. So I like the recommendations. Uh, All right. Jared McBride writes, uh, John, could there be a Green Arrow movie in the next six years? Could there be? Sure. There could be. I doubt it, though. I, I just don't see anything on number one, DC's roadmap right now that remotely suggests... Now, at one point, they thought about doing a Green Arrow movie that was going to be called Supermax, uh, and they did some movement of that. That got killed. Then the DC show happened. So it could... I just wouldn't put any money on it. But like, listen, five years in Hollywood is an eternity, so don't count it out. Orange Hand writes, if Aaron's there, you recently watched Deadwood. Doesn't Tolliver, Bella Union owner, uh, bear a resemblance to Robert Meyer Burnett? Just take away the mustache. Yes. So you've been, do you see that?
1: Yes, I do. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the actor who plays Tolliver. He's so good. Um, but yes, I can see a uh, a debonair Robert Meyer Burnett running a little bro- I mean. Can we all not see Robert Meyer Burnett running a brothel anyway? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I think that was his. Uh, that was probably it'll his be a big brothel life. slash movie house
1: where every the, into, uh, the 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 shelves are lined with all of his uh,
0: physical which, media. Which one was taught? To- was that was that Powers Booth? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Powers Booth. Mm-hmm. All right. I yeah. Oh, Powers Booth is Robert. Yeah. You Hold know what? And I, voices, I will though. say
1: this. I loved the show, and then it goes into the movie. Uh, didn't love the I movie so much. I still haven't
0: watched the movie.
1: You know what? I was just like, oof. You
0: know what's uh, funny? I, it must mm. have been mediocre because for years Mediocre's people have s- has screamed for that. For years people have screamed for a continuation of Deadwood, and then it happened, and then nobody talked about it. Right. So I can only imagine it must not have been uh, as satisfying as many people wanted it to be. All right. Uh, Ben Hayusa writes... 2020 Venom let there be carnage scratch that virus let there be Corona mm. how's it going John hope everyone is staying safe and filthy we are very much again very bummed out that Venom 2 got bumped but I do love the title and let's see if it and Spider-Man 3 actually do end up opening three weeks apart from each other to be interesting thank you for the well wishes Ben I appreciate that an anonymous viewer writes the reason for the VOD rental price that a living room full of people can watch for $20 as opposed to each person buying their own ticket so in a sense it's saves money. At theater, $15 times five people is $75. Rental at home, $20. At five people, is a $4 person. Yes, but that just goes to the point about why these studios don't make any money when their movies go to VOD. Because of exactly what you're pointing out. They just don't make any money. And a lot of people were really surprised, like when we pulled out those numbers, like that um, uh, Avengers Infinity War, or, or, or Endgame, I should say. Endgame, which made a billion dollars. In its first week of release. A billion dollars in its first week of release. When it had its first week of release on VOD. Made 30 million dollars. Now this is the biggest movie of all time. And so there has been a real misconception. About how much money movies make on VOD. And listen a lot of people. Are going to be. You know Aaron I want to know what you think about this. Because I made the argument that. One of the arguments people make about. Maybe not going to the theater to see a movie. Because they think. I'll just wait three months, and then I'll watch it for much cheaper when I rent it at home on streaming. Mm-hmm. The difference is that when you go to the movies, you are actually getting the movie-going experience. You're right. getting a completely different experience than watching it at home. You're going to the movies. You're having a night out. You're going with mm-hmm. your buddy or your significant other. You get it the way movies are meant to be seen on the big screen with a big sound, buttering your popcorn effectively, um, all that kind of stuff, and you're getting the movie-going experience. If you're being asked to pay $20 to rent a movie at home, well, now the argument of, wait a couple of weeks and get it for a cheaper price Mm -hmm. is really coming into play because you're not getting anything special from a VOD $20 rental at home unlike getting the movie going experience. I don't know. Rob and I talked about the other day. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you know, I mean, if you're somebody like I, we do not have a souped up movie theater experience in our home like my dream home would have a would have a like a little mini movie theater where you have proper surround sound and it's you know blackout curtains and the whole thing and then if you have that kind of setup sure you're getting a movie a movie going experience but most people on the planet myself included do not have that and so with with 1917 for example when I saw that, I told everybody, "You have to go see this, and you have to see it in the theater, because nothing will replicate that experience." Um, and you're right, movies were made. There, there are certain movies that I will, that I will know. Okay, I have to see this in a movie theater. A rom com, I can wait and see that at home. Um, I don't necessarily need to see that in the theater. If it's going to be a grand epic scale film, then that's something that I want to see in a movie theater. Otherwise, I'll just, you know,
0: wait around. All right, uh, let's see. Next up here, there's uh, an anonymous viewer writes, I think the Beverly Hillbillies were one of the first TV superhero teams. Jed could shoot flies at 300 yards, dead shot. Granny practiced the occult, <laughs> Dr. Strange. Jeff, uh, Jethro could easily lift a ton cap. And Ellie Mae controlled animals, uh, buona Beast. You know what's funny? I do not know why. I have This is weird. Yesterday, I was going on one of my walks, so walking my dogs. And I thought about the Beverly Hillbillies. I have (laughs) no idea why. You know why? I was walking and all of a sudden I started singing. I started humming in my head the the theme to Green Acres. And I have no idea. I remember even something going, why? Green Acres is the place to be. Yeah. I I remember thinking, why am I thinking that? Why did that pop into my head? And then thinking of Green Acres, I immediately jumped over to Beverly Hill uh, to uh, the Beverly Hillbillies because which were two actually when you think about it opposite shows. They uh-huh. were opposite opposite shows, and I don't know why, but I was just thinking about it yesterday. But anyway, interesting point anonymous about them being the original Avengers. Not bad. An anonymous viewer writes. Uh, The John Campion Show logo t-shirts. Oh, yeah, that's... We realized yesterday that the one thing that we don't have up in the shop... We have John Campion logo mugs. I don't think we have a John Campion logo t-shirt yet. So... Oh, no, sorry. We do. And this is not anonymous. I forgot. This gives us an update when somebody orders. So an anonymous somebody actually ordered some John Campion Show logo T-shirts. Thank you for that, anonymous. Appreciate that. Uh, Jordan Matthews writes, which one is it we don't have a T-shirt for, though? There's one of the logos we don't have a T-shirt for yet. Anyway, we're working on that, though. Jordan Matthews writes, hey, John, I was disappointed about how Uh, This year is going to be for movies, but I have started getting really excited about 2021 the year Hopefully is going to have all the movies made for 2020 and 2021. How excited are you for 2021 in terms of movies? Thanks Well, it's an evolving thing. It's changing uh, day by day because we're finding more and more movies being added there Now we still have a lot of good movies coming out in 2020 that I'm excited about Maybe tenant will be one of them, which i'm very stoked about obviously but yeah, twenty twenty one is going to now. It all depends on how good or bad these movies are, but twenty twenty one is becoming a very packed year for films. So yeah, I'm getting I'm getting pretty stoked about. It. We'll see how it works out. The Wakanda Forever writes superhero memory lane. First comic you read? I think the first comic I read. No, uh, no, I know the first comic book I read was an issue of Wolverine versus Hulk. And I now Wolverine and Hulk have fought many times in comic history, but the very first one I ever picked up and looked at was when Wolverine fought Hulk. Now I know you're not a huge comic book person, Aaron, but I'm gonna believe at some point you probably picked up a comic book. What do what if can you remember what the first comic book you ever read was or Archie. ever looked at? <gasps> that, obviously. Archie,
1: yeah, I love Betty and Veronica. Mm-hmm. Mm. that was that Do I, you
0: watch Riverdale?
1: No. Yeah, you know what? I I I said that with so much loathing and so much contempt. to say. Yeah, no. so much to say. I, I, I don't have an opinion one way or another about Riverdale. I just I liked the comics, but I I don't think that I would like the unless it was a super good Goofy oh, Freddie no, Prince not. Jr. and Sarah Michelle Geller version of um uh Scooby Doo kind of play on it. Like I would maybe like something super goofy and over the top and tongue in cheek, but I don't think that I would like the W V version or uh, the CW, CW. version.
0: You know, you know what's funny? I actually kinda liked season one. I thought it, okay. because it was not Anne and Corey were watching it. So I I said, okay fine, I'll check it out. Because a bunch of people were watching it. Everybody's talking about it. Re- fine, I'll watch it. Doesn't look like a show for me. Right. And it was it was very different from what I was expecting, and I'm like, you know what? They're doing some really interesting things here.
1: It's Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage who um, they uh, uh, they did Astronaut Wives Club. Oh really? Yes, which and you worked on. Which I yes, I was one of the series regulars on. And then they did also did Gossip Girl, and I mean they they have a million shows on the air, but Riverdale is one of theirs So who knows? I'm, I may actually like it. I do like the writing, so um you know yeah, I'll but check it out in a quarter. Then I tried
0: watching season two and it lost me immediately. But
1: oh really? But, I but, want you know what I wonder though is a lot of times um you know when you have these writers and also Shonda Rhimes is an example, they'll sometimes come in and they'll be really hands on in season one, and then they'll Say, okay, you know, the baby's out of the bathtub. Let's let somebody else take the baby away. Um, And then all of a sudden, new writers come on and it just kind of goes downhill. That may be what
0: happened. Might be. All right, with that. Aaron, we know you've got things and pl- things to do and places to be right so now. And many you many things take to do. Joey. So you many take places Joey. to be. Oh my lord, Joey! We gotta go for a little walk. Yes, you're gonna have to carry her downstairs. By the way, hmm? uh, you're gonna have to carry her downstairs. Yeah. Just because the other dogs are. But anyway, yeah we're gonna Aaron put on our and-
1: mask. We're gonna put on our gloves. We're gonna sanitize everything. We're not gonna touch anything. We're gonna stay six feet away from you, six feet away from Anne, six feet away from everything. Uh,
0: in the meantime, though, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me at Aaron L. Cummings,
1: and uh, you can also find Joey Bishop at Rat Pat Cats.
0: All right, thanks for being here, and we'll talk Thank to you, you later. All right, guys, we still have some time here, so let's keep right on rolling with your questions, and we're going to keep things rolling here with the Wakanda Forever writes, uh, the first superhero costume you had as a kid. I don't think I ever did wear a superhero costume as a kid. I really don't. I always dress as a lot of different other things. I don't think I ever dress as... I think the only time... Oh, you had Wonder Woman under—of course I you had did. Shoots, which I still have. But did you go out for Halloween in your Wonder Woman underoos? I still go out for Halloween. You still go out for Halloween in your Wonder Woman underoos. <laughs> I—the um, first time I ever wore a superhero costume for Halloween was like ten years ago. I wore a Mister Incredible costume, but that's always the first time I ever did that. Um, Wakanda Forever also writes: uh, first superhero film you ever saw in theaters uh tim burton's batman with my buddy brendan that that was the first superhero film i saw in theaters what forever writes first superhero film you saw with a date i don't know i honestly don't know also last one john favorite memory of comic-con oh i favorite memory of comic-con i've got a lot i've had so many great memories at comic-con but honestly i think one of my favorites let me see let me see if I can find this. I'm not sure if I can or not because it's totally worth um, it's totally worth pulling up if I can find it and I'm not 100% sure I can but the the memory at Comic-Con was I this was uh, just before I started doing the masters of the web panel and and parties and all that kind of stuff but anyway it was the first party that I threw at Comic-Con. All right. It was the first party I ever threw at Comic Con, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find this picture right now, but let me see if I can. And at this first party I ever threw at Comic Con, uh, Milo Ventimiglia, who is of course in Last of Us, or not Last of Us. This is Us. Last of Us is totally different. He was in This Is. He was. The, he's the you know one of the main stars in This Is Us. Emmy nominated for his role in that and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, he was doing this movie called Pathology. And uh, two guys I know were the writers and producers of that movie. And I was trying to do everything that I could to help them promote the film. Anyway, so at Comic-Con, I threw this uh, party to celebrate pathology coming out and all that kind of stuff. And Milo Ventimiglia, and here's the picture. Let me let me pull it out. Uh, it's going to be small, but it's, it's worth taking a look at. Let me see if I can get this uh, on here properly. Let me just uh, increase the size of it here for a second. Anyway. So I did this party at Comic-Con for it, and it was a rooftop bar that, uh, that we had booked out and we we're doing it. And I, one of my favorite shows at the time was, of course, Heroes that I was doing. So as you can see here is Milo. So you got Peter Petrelli there. You've got Hero is there. You got the villain there. I mean, they, they all came and showed up to support Milo at the party, and we just kind of hung out. And this is funny, because Zachary Quinto, uh, who you see, see there, Zachary Quinto, this was actually, here's an interesting story about this day. This was the actual day, the day that they made the announcement at Comic-Con that Zachary Quinto was going to be playing the new Mr. Spock in the new Star Trek film. And so we hung out there that night, had a great time hanging out for the evening. It was just an amazing, amazing time. And like I said, I've had a lot of great, fun evenings, uh, and a lot of great, fun experiences at Comic Con. I'm sure everybody has, but that to me was a real special one. That that was. I mean, I've moderated a panel in Hall H, and I've done a bunch of stuff, but that one particular thing was a really, really special memory for me. Anyway, uh, Initial D's writes, "Hey John." Uh, uh, Did you watch Ovechkin versus the great one last night? Go Caps. Whenever we get hockey again. Hi, Aaron. If you're still there, she just left. So good uh, to still be able to see and listen to you. Thank you both. No, I did not. So I'm I'm guessing, did they play some video game or something? I did just see uh, this video with Alexander Ovechkin doing his workout routine about how he's staying in shape. Uh, waiting for you know hockey to start back up again, which was actually pretty interesting. All right, Ethan Holgate writes, Hey, John and Rob, who's not here. I love uh, Cary Grant. Are you a fan? If so, what are your favorite movies of him? Mine is Arsenic and uh, Old Lace and To Catch a Thief. I'm actually not a big Cary Grant fan. I mean, there's a number of things that are considered big classics, whether they be movies or old performers and things like that. A lot of which I'll love. But some of which, yeah, just don't weren't quite it for me. I'm not trash talking on Cary Grant, by the way. I'm just saying, yeah, Cary Grant was one of those. Like, he's not like a Bogart. Like, I can watch anything by Bogart anytime. Cary Grant just, again, just wasn't didn't quite have that appeal. He's just not the one that I shared a lot of the public's enthusiasm for. So, just wasn't one for me, Ethan. But I'm glad you do. And believe me, Ethan, you are not alone. A lot of people love Cary Grant. All right, Ryan Loner writes. I look forward to this new Star Wars show becoming half half the length, then half hour special, then a commemorative snack display. That's a BoJack Horseman reference. So I'm not familiar with that. But yeah, listen, there's, it is a reference though, Ryan, to the fact that You know, when Mandalorian was coming out, a lot of people were expecting it to be hour-long episodes. And they ended up being basically half-hour-long episodes. So let's see what this one ends up being, even if it does happen at all. But I'm excited about it. I like at least the idea for it. I like the idea. Russell Amador writes, Hey, John by any chance, is the new chris emsworth film extraction landing on netflix tomorrow caught your interest nope uh other than the fact that it's chris emsworth because i love him uh, i've seen images and read a few details but haven't bothered with the trailer but it's new content and and thor so i may give it a watch i'm gonna give it a watch oh make no mistake about it i'm fully intending to watch it the trailer wasn't bad the trailer wasn't bad i mean it was a it was a generic action kind of trailer that you'd expect with things we've seen before who but who knows the movie might be great but i'd be lying if i told you i was excited about it uh netflix original films don't often move the needle for me there are some exceptions the problem is for every irishman there's 40 really bad ones you know and so I tend not to get excited about Netflix original films. So we'll see though. I mean, it, maybe it's the next Irishman. Maybe it'll be the greatest action film I've seen in the last five years. Who knows? And I will give it a shot because I love Chris Hemsworth, but I'd be lying if I said I was excited about it. Cause I'm not at this point. Captain chicken pants writes, man of steel and the first Thor, my two favorite superhero films, because I love when superheroes show that they still need their mother and father. Clark, uh, Clark's closet scene with Martha. So great. Uh, and that motherly need. I, I you, you're right. First of all, you guys don't need me to me to go on and on about uh, Man of Steel again. As a matter of fact, let me see if I can uh, do this here. I'm not sure I can. As I reach over and try, can I? Oh, I can. Look at that. Uh, if I bring this up here, you guys probably know this. Let me see if I can bring up this shot. But like for me, um, I can't do a show unless I know I've got. Uh, Hey, everybody. I can't do a show unless I know that we've got kal L standing there in the corner watching over me, protecting me as I'm doing my show. I got to have Henry Cavill there, man. He's got to be overseeing my show and uh, giving me guidance in my show. Or else I just can't do it. So you guys know how I feel about Man of Steel, right? And the first Thor movie I believe is the second most underrated comic book film in history. And and you're right, the connection to their parents, the need for their parents, I, I do like that as a part of a general motif as well. Okay, moving on here. Uh, Tom Gillard writes, uh, watching Law and Order, Law and Order, and Ezra Miller plays a dude suspected a, of assaulting a teenage girl. That episode hasn't aged well. I did not know that Ezra Miller did that. You're right that's not an episode that ages well and once see the thing is this ezra miller and his pr team are acting like idiots right now by not coming out and addressing what happened they are taking the coward's way and i'll tell you listen i'm saying this as an ezra miller fan you guys have heard me talk i like ezra miller and i like him as flash i know a lot of people don't and that's fine I do, and I make no apologies for that. I really enjoy his iteration of Flash. But I say this as a fan of Ezra Miller. He is acting like a coward. Ezra Miller is acting like a sniveling little coward. And his PR team are probably to blame because they're all probably telling him, oh, don't worry about this, Ezra, with all the all the coronavirus stuff and the COVID-19 and everything going on, and no one's going to remember this. Just, just let's stay quiet about it and all blow over. Guess what? The moment that any news comes out about Flash or Ezra or whatever People are not forgetting this. They may be distracted right now with what's going on with COVID-19, but they're not going to forget this. And it's going to come up. And that episode of Law & Order is going to become a meme. I actually absolutely guarantee you. So Ezra, as somebody who is a fan of you, stop hiding under the table like a sniveling little coward. Come out and address this situation. You're not doing yourself. You're not doing your fans any favor by acting like uh, like a little coward. You're not doing anybody any favors by acting like a little coward. Anyway, that's that. Okay, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, uh, so John, are you a Zevia shill now? Oh, I'm absolutely a Zevia shill. I love Zevia. I don't like it. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know what Fifty's what talking about, so yesterday I talked about how Zevia emailed me yesterday uh, or the other day because I'm always talking about it. Everybody's always asking, what are you drinking in your cup? I drink Zevia Cola because I used to drink two bottles of Coca-Cola per show. This is going back to the movie blog days and when I say bottles, I don't mean individual I mean two liter bottles when I would do an episode of the movie blog podcast I would literally go through two two liter bottles of coke And then I realized holy crap. Look how many calories that is. So then I switched to diet soda So I switched to diet pepsi. I drink regular coke when I drink diet soda. I drink diet pepsi So I switched to diet pepsi And then I realized holy crap. I didn't I didn't know this for a long time Look at how crappy these artificial sweeteners are for you. I should stop doing that. So then I found this Zevia Cola, which has no calories and does not use artificial sweeteners. And I really enjoy it. And that's what you see me drinking every day on the show. So I've mentioned it on the show a few times. So the other day, I actually got this email from Zevia Cola. And I'm like, so they know, say, hey, we watched the show and we saw that you talk about Zevia Cola and you like it. We'd like to send you a, a case of Zevia Cola. Now, listen, it's not like they're sending me a truckload of Zevia Cola, which would have been nice, but, but I'm grateful for whatever, dude. I'm grateful for whatever. So they're sending me a case, pardon me, a case of Zevia Cola. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And if that makes me a Zevia Shill, then I will be a Zevia Shill. But I can say, I was a Zevia shill long before they were sending me free stuff, even if free stuff is just one case of Zevia. But I'll take it because I love it. Anyway, all right. Next up, Keith O'Neill writes, Hey, John, when movie theaters eventually reopen, what are they going to show? A lot of summer movies have been delayed or are going to be released digitally. If you were the head of the theater chain, what would you do? I'd bring back the classics. Thanks. I mean, that's exactly what they need to do. It's going to be a mixture of classics and huge blockbusters that haven't played on screen in a little while. Endgame, it's been over a year. Avatar it's been almost 10 years Uh, the original Star Wars films. I mean, it's they're going to have to fill the screens With big blockbusters and classics that haven't been on screen for a while because there's not going to be any movies ready to roll out There's not gonna be any new movies ready to roll out and what they need to do is slowly get the audience And by the way, not a lot of people are gonna rush back to the theaters when they first open Not in day one but they need to at least open up the theaters, open the doors, get movies up on the screens and get people slowly back into the habit of going back to the movie theaters and hopefully see that as people were going to the movie theaters, it was all okay, that everything was fine. There were no new spikes. There were no new cases being reported, all that kind of stuff. They need to do that. And I think the best way, like you're saying, Keith, is, is a mixture of classic films but also big blockbusters that haven't been on the screen in a little while. Because I'll tell you what, Everybody owns Endgame now, but you put Endgame back on the big screen for like $5 a ticket because you also got to lower the ticket price to get back people back in. You put Endgame back on the big screen for like $5. bucks. i am going. I wouldn't mind watching Endgame again the way it's meant to be seen on a big screen. I wouldn't mind going and seeing that experience again. So, yeah, I think that's exactly what they need to do here. All right, uh, Chris Minor writes Worst comedy sequel out of these? Zoolander 2, Dumb and Dumber 2, Caddyshack 2, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, or Ace Ventura when, H- when Nature Calls. I'll tell you what, I actually like Dumb and Dumber 2. I think that movie is underrated. I, I think when you really sit down and watch it, I think, is it anywhere near as good as the original? No, I'm not making that argument. But I find that to be a very enjoyable comedy nonetheless. That aside, I got to go, and Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 was such a disappointment compared to the first one, because the first one is genius and brilliant. I got to go Zoolander 2. I love Zoolander. The first Zoolander is so good, but... Yeah, I got to go Zoolander 2. Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, it was a st- these are all step downs, but I'm going to go Zoolander 2 on that one. That's a good discussion. That's a good topic. That's a good topic, Chris, but I'm going to go Zoolander 2 on that one. Uh, D- uh, DC Marvel writes, favorite Pixar film? For me, it's Up or Ratatouille. I go back and forth all the time. Up is brilliant. Incredibles is incredible uh incredibles 2 is incredible uh ratatouille is magnificent toy story 3 is one of only three films animated films in history to be nominated for best picture of the academy awards i mean there's so many I, I i change my answer to it every day so i can't give you one definitive answer unfortunately but those are a couple of good ones dc marvel diamond dogs puppy Writes. good day john another underrated movie suggestion 1991's backdraft that's not underrated that movie's brilliant. And everybody who's seen it knows that movie's brilliant. That movie is great. One of Ron Howard's. No, I'll say it's my favorite Ron Howard film. Anyway, uh, Ultimate Man's Man movie. Uh, uh, terrific s- uh, sound effects. Compelling drama. Excellent performances by a deep cast. Thumping score. And just a movie about firefighters. Uh, bring up bring up to our first responders. Big up to our first responders. I'm telling you, there's a moment in that movie Like, I talk about the best of the best moment. He says, I offer myself as your new brother. There's a moment in that movie where Kurt Russell's like, you go, we go. As he's holding on to the guy, I'm like, "Mm, that's a man right there. That's a man. I love that movie backdraft is awesome it's not it's not underrated it's not what it is a brilliant film everybody who's seen it knows it's brilliant might be a little underappreciated because maybe not everybody's seen it now because it, it is an older film 1991 guys if you have not seen backdraft take diamond's suggestion and go watch it all right campia's filth or filth filth writes hey gang how are you my all-time favorite movie is bruce almighty I mean, come on. Morgan Freeman is God. Just terrific. I was wondering um, your thoughts about the movie. Thanks for taking my question. Have a filthy day and be safe, everyone. Nowhere near my favorite all-time films list, but I really like Bruce Almighty. And by the way, the scene in Bruce Almighty where Steve Carell uh, plays, um, what's the name of the sequel? The Bruce Almighty and the second one is called whatever Steve Carell's character name is Almighty. But... The scene, a lot of people make the argument that, that Bruce Almighty and that one scene in Bruce Almighty is what made Steve Carell's career. Because as he's playing the news host and Jim Carrey is making go, blah, 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 the way Steve Carell pulls that off, there's a lot of people who argue that was the moment that Steve Carell became a star. And it's hard to argue against that. You can also make the argument like him playing Brick in Anchorman uh, was one of the big responsible things of that, too. And, And you can make that argument, absolutely. But a lot of people will draw the lines back to that moment of that movie. I really like Bruce Almighty. I do. And I like the fact that it takes place in Buffalo, which was right across the border from where I lived in Hamilton. Like it was less than an hour away. I could be in Buffalo in less than an hour. Uh, So it was kind of cool that it happened close to home, but I like that movie. Not anywhere near my favorite of all time or anything like that, but I quite like Bruce Almighty. All right. Um, Tim Platt writes, I was never a fan of diet soda, and I even tried Zevia but didn't like it at first. I have since started drinking Pepsi Zero, uh, and I love it. I haven't had a regular soda in at least two months now, so I'm curious as to how Zevia compares to Pepsi Zero to you. Well, the problem with Pepsi Zero is that it's still using artificial sweeteners. Because I love Diet Pepsi. I'm not gonna lie, I love Diet Pepsi. For regular Cola, I'm a Coke guy. For Diet Cola, I just think Pepsi is a much Diet Pepsi is much better tasting than than uh, Diet Coke or Coke Zero. The problem though, though, with Pepsi Zero is that it's still artificial sweeteners. And listen, I'm gonna tell you, the first time I drank Zevia, because I wanted something without artificial sweeteners, I was like, it's all right. But it's really grown on me, and I really enjoy it now. So you probably have the same experience. At first, it's like, okay, it's kind of Cola-like. But again, it's it's really quite grown on me. So anyway, that's that. All right, Tim Platt also writes, and we only got a, f- a couple of minutes left here, guys. Uh, Timothy Platt writes, uh, the draft is upon us. Really hoping my team doesn't botch things and take Chase Young with the number two pick. Who are you hoping for the, p- the paths get? Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't follow college football. So I really don't know um, who who the big prospects are. I know Burroughs is going number one. And with Brady now gone, they need a new quarterback, although they seem to have a lot of faith in their guy that they have. But man, I, I wish somehow, some way, the Pats could trade up to that number one spot and take Burroughs. I mean, for sure. Uh, but who knows? Maybe Tua is going to still be available. We'll have to see. But... I mean, look, I just trust him, but I don't know enough about who's coming out of the college ranks because I don't follow college that much other than when playoff time comes around. All right. Uh, Matthew Phillips writes, I enjoy the MCU movies, but I feel Age of Ultron is the weakest Avengers film. Yes, we got Scarlet Witch and Vision, uh, but do you think they should have built towards Ultron and treated him like a bigger villain, or was one film enough? Uh, Was he filler? No. He was the main villain of a major comic book motion picture movie. That's not filler. Uh, I thought, listen, I, I agree that... Avengers Age of Ultron is probably the weakest of the Avengers movies. I agree. It's still awesome. It's I think it's great. And the more I watch it, Robert Meyer Burnett and I talk about this a lot. The more we watch it, the more we realize this is really good. This is really good. I'm always surprised when I go back and watch it again. I'm like this is better than I even remember. And then I watch it again. It's like this is better than I remember. I think it's still tremendously good. Is it as good as the original Avengers movie? No. Is it as good as Infinity War? No. Is it even as good as Endgame? No. But I still think it's a very, very good film. And I think having him, like, this is the problem with living in cinematic universe time. Every No, having him as a major villain in a major film on a global threat scale was not filler. I don't think that was him being filler at all. Uh, I thought he was a great villain. I think the movie's wonderful. But I agree, the least wonderful of the four Avengers films. I'll agree with you on that. All right, Daniel Hinoja writes, I really like the film Gone Baby Gone, Uh, uh, Ben Affleck's film. It's fantastic. What's your favorite movie in which you weren't sure uh, which side of the moral dilemma you stood? Civil War doesn't count. Oh, Civil War is easy. That's Cap's side. Cap was clearly right. And even in the movie, you know, Tony Stark realizes that Cap was right. By the end of that movie, Tony Stark realizes Cap was right. And he goes against the government because he knew Cap was right. So there's no question there. Cap was right. You got to be team Cap in Civil War. Anyway, um, the one that often gets to me is. Um, uh, why am I forgetting? I was just talking about this film the other day. Uh, hold a second. Um I'm freezing on the name of the movie and I'm not sure why it's something baby. Why am I forgetting the name of the movie? It's million dollar baby million dollar baby that one. Oh my God. The ending to million dollar baby that that is one that tears your heart out. And you're thinking, what should Clint Eastwood's character have done? I don't know. I mean, I know what I think I would do. But in his, I'm telling you, if you've not seen Million Dollar Baby, you need to go watch it. And the ending is so powerful, I do not want to give away what happens, even though it is a uh, an older film at this point. What year did, uh, 2004, so the movie's 16 years old now. And so, but even then, I don't want to give away the ending because it's so powerful uh, and just so rough oh my god you gotta check it out you gotta check it out but that's the ending of that is the one to me that is the most <gasps> which side do i take on this i'm just not sure it's it's incredible it's powerful it's a good topic daniel all right Last question of the day, guys, because we've gone over time, is Campius Filth writes, Hey, John and the gang, if I had the chance to direct a film, uh, it would be the Justice League. My original members would be Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, Flash, Vixen, and Black Lightning. Who would your original members be? I would have a smaller team to start. Uh, it would be, obviously, the Trinity. It would be uh, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman. I don't think I would have Aquaman there at first I don't think I would have Aquaman there at first I think I would keep a smaller team I'd have those three Green Lantern and Green Arrow I think that would be my starting five Um, more recognizable characters characters that the audience knows a little bit more that can then lead into growing the team there out so that's probably the way I would go Uh, but that's you know whatever that's just me hey listen guys For everybody else, from D.A. Miller, Preston Bell, Daniel Haygood, um, Lincoln, Devontae Brown, and all, do not worry. You sent in those questions. They're going to be answered properly. And you know what? Earth 2 John is going to start off the live chat tomorrow by getting to your remaining questions, and then we'll roll into the new questions of the day. So hang tight there, guys. You sent in the questions. They're going to be answered in a video. It'll just be off the top of the... um, off the top of the live question segment on tomorrow's show with Earth 2 John getting around to doing those and with that guys that brings us to an end of today's episode of the John Capia show thank you guys so much for being here again guys a couple of quick reminders number one why don't you go subscribe to the podcast feed for those times that you're driving on the road you're at the gym on the treadmill you're, you're at work whatever and you still want to get your John Campus show fixed we can't pop open a YouTube video make sure you subscribe to our podcast go and find it on your podcast app of choice and go on over and check out our shop simply at the John Campus. Show.com slash shop. And don't forget, guys. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, click the thumbs up on this thing, jump into the comments section, keep the conversation going. Let us know your thoughts on any or all the topics we discussed here today. And don't forget, guys, me and Robert Meyer Burnett will be back again tomorrow for the next episode of The John Campus Show. Thank you to all you guys for making this show a part of your day, and a special thank you to all of you who sent in the questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported the channel while you were doing it, and all of us here at The John Campus Show. Thank you very much for that. All right, guys, that will do it for me for now. Thanks so much for being here. Remember, guys, the four things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourself, and most importantly, take care of the people around you. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.